This is the Movie Hall of Fame Class of 1983 for Thursday, February 4th, 2021. Adam Hall. Hello. You and I got in a little bit of a skirmish. A skirmish. No, you got yourself into a skirmish, and I'm just like looking at you with a cocked head like, oh, yeah? Cool, man. So it turns out Adam <laughs> is a trust fund kid built in a suburban Connecticut kid's body. What's wrong with what I'm talking about? <laughs> a lot of things, but that's for another podcast, I guess. I'm, I'm sorry. I like to, to go places when it's, you know, it, it, that's local when when there's nothing else going on. <laughs> I like to travel to like like a nice little You like location. to hang out with the rich. I don't give And a- you like to what? rub elbows. <laughs> With the rich what? fox, that's what you like doing, and that's cool. Am I hanging? Out? I'm not. I don't. I don't. I don't talk to a single person there other than Abby. Right. You just okay. So you pretend that you are. I'm just them. amongst, but you don't actually. Right. Exactly. Because <laughs> they. You're right. They won't give you the time of day. That that's is true. true. Yeah. They that's a great point. So. They they can spot fucking you know rural Connecticutian from a mile away. I, I, I like that you actually said Connecticutian. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, you didn't say nutmegger, which just sounds terrible. Awful word. You Don't care. Fucking nutmegger. Don't care for yeah. it. But um, yeah, we're staying at the Viking Hotel, man. You're not staying at a hotel. Yeah, we are. I think you're not getting an Airbnb. Fuck that. <laughs> maybe that's a good thing though like that's some of the humility i don't i see an issue with getting an, an airbnb in a rich person's town like yeah it's whatever man whatever adam's going on a trip to newport rhode island and just talking about how great all the small boutiques are and the overpriced food and whatnot yeah. it's tasty food it earns i'm sure it's, it's tasty it earns it's how i was gonna say how would you know have you ever eaten it i don't think so i i haven't but you know what i also haven't done <laughs> spent the money on it and i am better off for it it's I'm worth better it. off for it it's worth it man that theater we saw parasite in great little theater yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm happy for you, and I hope that you have a great time pretending that you're rich this weekend. Pretending that I'm rich. I hope you have. I, I don't time. like it when you assume the motivations of people. I'm not assuming the motivation. I'm just calling it what it is. Oh, I see. <laughs> just calling it what it is. I see. I see what it is. What would make you feel better? Where would I have to go? I love how even mystic is an issue for you. It's like what? It's just mystic. It's not a big deal. It's so fucking. What's even the word? Insufferable, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's the word I'm searching for. Okay. Just all those little boutiques, the overcrowding, the boats. What happened to you? The drawbridge. Oh, you've had too many, me. too many traumatic experiences with your family, I think is the issue. Yeah, probably. That's what it comes down to. Man. Pro- pro- Dude, family ruins everything at the end of the day. Screw you, Vin Diesel. <laughs> probably. No, I'm just I'm just not into it, man. And you know what? I see all of these like husbands and boyfriends and fiancés that mm. are just carrying their women's bags oh. and just sitting there on a bench for five hours checking the sports scores on their phone. And I'm just like, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm like at the on the other end of the cage at the zoo. And I just have my hand up against the, the fence. And I'm just like, Shamu, <laughs> just what what did they do to you, Shamu? That's what's happening when I see these poor men. What makes you think that's exclusive to Mystic? That's that's happening at the West Farms Mall. Yes, thing. it is. Yes, it is. In the West Farms, hundred percent. It's not. Exactly. But Mystic, Connecticut. That is that is the mecca. 
That's the mecca. That's the mecca. Dude, I see that. Like, you do all the practice reps at the mall, you, at the local strip mall, at the Coles, at the Old Navy. Okay. You do all that. You get your reps in. You're training for the Olympics. You are training for the Olympics of holding your women's bags, sitting there emasculated. That's very true. Just balls ripped straight out of their bodies. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry you're going to have to do it this weekend, and I'm sorry you have been convinced that you enjoy it. <laughs> it's all it's all propaganda i'm sorry it's it's the feminist propaganda <laughs> i am sorry for you because i will be having a super bowl party this weekend i am going to the and super I, bowl and i <laughs> to the super bowl party will be playing full tackle football with 12 sweaty men and i for one <laughs> And losing a lot of money yourself. We'll enjoy it. <laughs> You're losing a lot of money in your stupid gambling like, addiction. You know what? <laughs> That's when you say touche, Adam. <laughs> touche. <laughs> but give that to me. You know what? At least I'm choosing. At least I'm choosing. You're not choosing shit. It's not up to you. If you lose your money. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Uh, hi. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, hello. It's a podcast about movies. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not sure it is anymore. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. Have I'm you looking. seen anything recently? Any films besides the ones we're going to talk about today? No. Okay. I mean, I guess I watched Edge of Seventeen like two weeks ago. Oh. And I kind of liked it a lot. Oh. So yeah, Woody like, Harrelson and uh, yeah. what's her face? Haley Steinfeld. Right. Yeah, she's really good in it. I love that Haley Steinfeld. I like that character a lot. It's very, it's very me. I think it feels very me. I haven't seen the movie. Really good movie. Okay. Sur- surprisingly good. You know, a lot better than it had any right to be. So. Okay. Uh, I, I caught up on some some recent stuff. Oh, yeah. I should probably tell you all about it. Saw this movie called The Little Things. Oh, yeah. You know what this movie could have used? What? Some attention to the little things. Oh, that was clever. You like that Leonard Malton little yeah. Uh, blurb? Yeah, yeah I, I do that every <laughs> once in a while. Um... Yeah, the editing's really bad in this movie. Like, what? really, really bad. What happens at the end? Uh, I'm not going to see the movie, so it's fine. Well, I don't want to spoil it for all the people. This is like a big movie that people are watching, right? I'm not sure they are, dude. Yeah, they might not be. <laughs> it was number one at the box office this week, whatever that means. Yeah, I was going to say whatever that means. Yeah. Who gives a shit? I'm not really sure what that means. Um, okay. Well, the movie is seven. But with a much worse director directing it mm-hmm. uh, and a story that makes a lot less sense oh. and um, some pretty questionable performances, particularly from Jared Leto, who just got a Golden Globe nomination. <laughs> um, I don't know what the fuck this guy is doing in this movie. I don't know what the Golden Globe saw. This is the weird thing about I don't want to talk about the Golden Globe nominations too much today, but <laughs> You know, this is an unconventional award season, and I think yeah. you're sort of seeing uh, the clash of two different worlds because they extended the um, eligibility window. Yeah. A movie can come out in late February now and oh. still qualify for last year's Oscars. So what you have is a bunch of movies that are rushing, you know, through post-production to, you know, get Oscar eligibility at the end of that window, but also movies that were clearly buried in January. Oh. You know, so it's sort of the combination of award season and January movie, and that's what Little Things is. Like, it's got the pedigree of an Oscar bait movie, but it has the quality of a January garbage crime movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which, like, whatever. It's like a serviceable garbage crime movie, I guess. It's not, like, offensively bad by any means. The script is just 
sort of been there, done that. And Denzel's good in it. But, you know, what is that saying? He's always good and everything. Um, yeah, I, I, I just thought it was kind of boring and underwhelming. Yes. And uh, the Jared Leto nomination is one of the most baffling nominations <laughs> I've ever seen in anything. You've not been a fan of Jared Leto for a long time. No. Yeah. But he's doing his Jared Leto thing again. But it's like he's not funny enough to like land some of the laugh lines and he's not creepy enough to come across as menacing. And it's I don't know. It's just it's you know, you know what it is. You've seen this movie before. Okay. You know what I mean? You've seen this before. Yeah. I haven't liked Jared Leto in a long time. I guess since 2017. I like his villain in Blade Runner, but that's about it. I don't really like him. Jesus. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of like the point where like Jared Leto like really fell off for me. I guess like the, the persona is a big issue, but um, maybe maybe it was just Suicide Squad. I don't no, know. I think the moment was when he won the Oscar for Dallas. Bible oh, Club. well, that's a good point, actually. I think it's when he won it, not yeah. the actual performance, which is pretty good. Yeah, I think the performance is really good. In that. Yeah. But. When he got the Oscar and he's like, now I'm just going to go full method all the time. That is a good point. It's like, what are you, what are you doing, man? I don't know. It just feels like like a self conscious dude that needs validation. Yeah, it's very strange. Isn't like it? he has a limp in this movie. It's very weird. Mm. Um, like I'm not sure what kind of affectation he's speaking with. It's kind of like a southern accent, but not really. He's living in Los Angeles. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. He's like a like a, a refrigerator repair man. That's like what his job is. And there's is he a serial killer too? Well, that is the question of the movie. Oh, I guess. Maybe he's not a serial killer. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. And that is the ambiguous note the movie leaves you with. I, I was based on the trailers. I was like, is the ambiguity between whether or not it's it's Jared Leto or Denzel the whole time? No. Oh, not Ra- at all. What about Rami Malek? No. Is Rami Malek the serial killer? He's not. Spoiler alert. Okay. It, no, Denzel and Rami Malek are two cops oh. investigating a serial killer. Okay who they believe is Jared Leto, but maybe he's not. Hmm. And Leto's just doing Kevin Spacey in Seven, and Rami Malek is just doing Brad Pitt in Seven. And Denzel, yes, is just doing Morgan Freeman in Seven. It's whatever, man. I don't know. You've seen the movie before. Yeah. What, what do you want me to say? Not to, it didn't look like anything that would be my cup of tea. Yeah, it's just... It's, it looked boring. Yeah. It looked it, boring. I didn't think it looked boring. I mean, I had... Oh, come on. I, it no, I did. boring to me. I had higher hopes for it. Really? You I saw, did. You saw that trailer, and literally, the only thing in that trailer is like five seconds where Denzel's like, it's the little things. The little things. Right. That's the trailer. For Sign the, me up, man. It was terrible. The marketing behind this movie was absolutely atrocious. There was a lot of it. Too. I know. There were a lot of trailers for this and movie. It, show. it was annoying. Yeah. And the funny thing about the, a lot of the marketing is that they showed a lot of Jared Leto. Right. And even in those little marketing promos, I thought, what is he doing? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you how the guy from Sound of Metal didn't get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Oh, God. Gave yeah. The I know. nomination to Jared Leto. Are you kidding me? Maybe the Oscars will give him a leg up. I don't know. We'll see, dude. <laughs> Delroy Lindo could not even that was not bad. even in the conversation. Did they, did what you, is happening? Did Defy Bloods get anything? Not a single nomination. Whoa! Not a single nomination. Damn. But see, that's an award bait, Oscar bait movie that's actually really good. Yeah. That's like one of the Oscar bait movies you want to see get nominated. Like Spike gets nominated all the time. Yeah. This would be a perfect opportunity to throw him like a screenplay nomination or something. He didn't get anything. Not Nothing. Even, didn't even. I, I don't know how he would have gotten recognition for American Utopia, but that movie just period got actually like legitimately nothing. Right. And Hamilton got stuff, as we talked about. 
I love that play, but it's great. But it's a different issue. <laughs> you gave all the awards six years ago. We're just going to do this again. Yeah, it's like, guys, we're giving Lin Manuel Miranda a globe now. Yeah. Come on, settle down. It's just an excuse for literally everybody to see Hamilton. Those who couldn't see it on Broadway, and fine, you've great. accomplished it. Great, no, it's wonderful. You know, but you don't need to give it more awards. <laughs> it's wonderful. Uh, okay, it's whatever. A film live event. <laughs> whatever. Best musical. <laughs> It's it's a joke. It's it a, it's it's a joke ex- nomination. It's, it's, it's like everyone in the Borat ex- two got three <laughs> nominations. Dude. Sasha Baron Cohen has two nominations for two different movies. He's a double nominee. What the hell? It's because it's it. it, it <laughs> He's the worst performance in Trial of Chicago Seven. Oh my god! Come Tri- on, Trial of the Chicago Seven got nominated for best drama. That whatever, like I knew it would, it would probably get that because it's a thin year. Dude, the obligatory nature of these award shows is really frustrating. Like it you is. knew, like they had to nominate those movies so they wouldn't get in trouble. You know, there's a lot of that going on. I guess I just hate like film criticism. I guess and I, I, I hate the attitude of voters. It's just like Trial of Chicago, Chicago Seven is not very good, man. It's just not. No, it's not. It's <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's not at all. Like, again, I don't really know what you nominate just because, obviously, you're not going to give Shit House a Golden Globe nomination. You know what I mean? You could have. You're not. You could have. I guess. You're not going to give I'm Thinking of Ending Things a Golden Globe nomination. Like, okay, but then what about Five Bloods? Like, no, that's what I'm that's saying. The, five that's Bloods. That's what, it was a layup. Five Bloods was an absolute layup. <laughs> it was obviously one of the five best movies of the year, and it was, like, uh, exactly what the Oscars are looking for every year. Yeah. You know? Like, you understand going into award season, you know, these are awards uh, among like a certain type of movie. And you just understand like there are the movies that everybody likes and there are the movies that compete for Oscars. Mm. And there are certain like Tenet is not going to get a nomination in any of these categories. And you just have to be okay with that, even if you'd like Tenet. Um, but yeah, exactly. The Five Bloods is an Oscar bait movie and it's about like current events and it's a Vietnam movie uh, directed by a beloved filmmaker and, there's no reason why it couldn't have at least got a Best Actor nomination. I just There's no reason for it. I just don't want to hear the tired excuse that they didn't want more Netflix movies on there. After might have been it. After 2020 it and might, everything that happened, are you it. honestly going to have the audacity to say, well, it was Netflix. You know what? Fuck you. Go to hell. <laughs> might have been the case. All right. Enough of that. Um what else did I watch? Oh, I um I watched this thing on Hulu called In and of Itself, which is not really a movie, but actually it's another film performance. Okay. But in, you know, very cinematic fashion, directed by Frank Oz. Oh, cool. He directed both the stage version and the film version of this thing. And um what is this thing? Well, I guess it's a magic show. Oh. But it's not really a magic show. I mean, it is. The guy Derek Delgadio uh, wrote this thing and uh, put it together, and he's this. Uh, um, he's a magician. He he hadn't really done anything of note until this play. He was sort of a consultant on a bunch of other magic shows before doing this, uh, and it was something that ran off Broadway for several years and ended up touring. Um, and uh, I I kind of just want you to watch it, and I want you to go into it not really knowing that much about it because it's a very unconventional magic show and unlike anything I've ever seen before, frankly. Oh, cool. And it's it's kind of awesome. It's kind of really, really awesome. And like, I really like magic. I know a lot of people kind of find it corny 
and ridiculous. Um, and I'm sure some people might find this show corny and ridiculous, but I think it rides that line kind of beautifully. All right. Okay. All right. So watch it if you have a chance. It's on Hulu. I don't hate magic. Okay. Magic's fine. Okay. I'm not obsessed with it. Okay. I was obsessed with it for a couple of years. Yeah. (laughs) Back in the day. I can, you're allowed to be obsessed with magic, but I can't go to Newport. (laughs) Okay. I see. I also watched uh, One Night in Miami. Oh yeah. I'll get around to that eventually. It's good. It's fine. Oh, it's fine. Another one. Another thing that just cleaned up at the Golden Globes. I'm really tired. Like I hate reporting on movies where all I can say is, yeah, it's fine. Like, it's getting so boring, man. Yeah, Regina King got a Best Director nomination. Okay. Over Spike Lee. Um, oh, God, yeah. It's one of those instances. I don't know about that one. Everybody's going like, oh, yeah, three women nominated in Best Director. It's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> it's great. That's cool. Fine, yeah. Yeah, I think there's been a total of five women ever nominated in that category. So, yeah, three out of five this year go to women. But uh, yeah, I, mean, I guess that's good. You know, sure. Yeah, it's great. I don't There's know. There's nothing we it- can do. Like we, if we say anything, <laughs> dude, we're 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 ostracized. It, and this is why the conversation becomes just so miserable. I know it's so it's stiff. Just like, it's so stiff. You feel afraid to criticize it, anything. It's hopeless, right? <laughs> Which makes it again just makes you not want to talk about movies. Yeah, that's what I hate about it. It makes me not want to talk about movies. Right. <laughs> Uh, no, I think it's a totally competent movie that's well-performed and well-written and, okay. uh, you know, sometimes the dialogue is a bit ridiculous, but, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you don't like it. <laughs> not really. No, not particularly. <laughs> I, I can tell when you don't like it. No, not particularly. I mean, okay, so it's a movie essentially about Malcolm X, Jim Brown, Sam Cooke, and, uh, Muhammad Ali. They all get together <laughs> for a night apparently this actually happened although they took some liberties with the details and uh, i guess they just talk about the state of black america um and it's cool um but but like at no point i mean knowing a, a little bit about these people knowing a little bit about malcolm x and a little bit about like jim brown and and muhammad ali like I just thought the the characters were written as sort of mouthpieces for causes uh-huh. and ideologies rather than people characters yeah characters people as like well-rounded beings yep uh and that you know just sort of bothered me and also i i kind of felt like you know it's it's easy to look at the denzel malcolm x performance which is just like one of the great performances ever and compare it to this one <laughs> and it's like weak sauce it's just weak no, sauce it's just that character is weak sauce and uh like I, I i don't know i don't know it was just soft the movie was soft and that happens a lot with a lot of movies like that. Like again, just a agenda setting movies, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's soft in a way that none of those men were soft. Oh, interesting. Okay, do you know what good. I mean? Yeah, none of those men in real life. Muhammad Ali was a fucking animal. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy was a beast. Yep. Uh, and Malcolm X was like so uh, powerful and just like you hung on to every word he said. Um, and obviously, you know, great civil rights leader for that reason. Uh. And yeah, I think they were they both just came across as like, oh hey, we're just pals in a movie talking about movie things. All right, well, whatever. <sighs> anyway, no, I don't want to see it, <laughs> which is a problem. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, 
I don't know. I don't know. A lot of the movies that are getting the recognition from last year or this year, whatever, is just, I know I'm hearing a lot of funny things about them. It's the same thing with Nomadland. Right. Like a lot of critics love that movie, but apparently those who, like regular audiences who watch it seem very bored by it or can't connect with it. I'll give it a, I'll give it a look. I think it's hitting Hulu in a month. So I've been very curious about it. We have that to look forward to. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about some good movies then for a change. Okay. The year is 1983. And the six films nominated are War Games, The Meaning of Life, The Big Chill, Risky Business, Terms of Endearment, and Scarface. Eh. I agree. <laughs> eh. I mean, I, I, I like all these movies, but uh, in terms of like, like passion for a conversation, this, it ain't there for this one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this last week. Um, like... Uh, I don't know. It might be the worst movie year of all time. Possibly. At least in modern history. <laughs> in modern history? Yeah, if you look like last 50 years or so, this might be the worst one. Yeah, I mean, it's... Oh, boy. This is the funny thing. It's like even the the iconic film on this list... Like, I do like the film. I'm sure you have some issues with it. But sure. even this movie, I, yeah, it's... I'll, I'll meet you with some of those criticisms. It's like, right. yeah, like it ain't a perfect movie, despite what a lot of people like to think. Right. And that's strange. Like it's one of the most, I mean, I might put it up there in the top five most iconic films. Not even kidding. Certainly one of the like 10 or 15 most iconic characters. Yeah. Yeah. But just the way it, the aesthetic has influenced like literature and fucking video games. Oh my God. Sure. Fucking video games cannot stop referencing that movie. Rap music. Yep. Rap. Oh my God. Rap music. Yeah. It's insane. Sure. It's insane. It's the way it's touched music. Not even just rap music, dude. I hear that. I hear sound bites pop up in metal songs. Sure. It's crazy. But regardless, like, like, yeah, not a perfect movie. <laughs> no, definitely not. I, I, I mean, there's one movie that I think is just perfect, and we'll talk about that, I guess, when we get to it. Um, but I just think it's like a weird time in film history and in Hollywood history. Like, obviously, you're coming off of the 70s, but really, that like American New Wave movement ended in 1980 with Heaven's Gate. Yep. Right. So 1980 was still a really awesome movie here. Mm-hmm. You had Raging Bull, you had The Shining, you had all sorts of great stuff in 19. Uh, I'm sorry, 1980. Yeah. Uh, 1981, pretty good. No, still pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty. I think you're like Hollywood had not quite reacted because again, this stuff is in production for like a year. Uh-huh. So you know, you still have a lot of like really good Hollywood stuff. Uh, you know, Steven Spielberg makes Indiana Jones in 1981, and um, you know, in 82, ET, Blade Runner, mm-hmm. still Hollywood stuff. I mean, you still see like a return to normalcy in terms of like big budget blockbusters. Um. But, like, you know, this year, you're really seeing a neutered Hollywood struggle. Really struggle. Mm -hmm. And even the auteur stuff of this year. Scarface, Brian De Palma movie, but a remake of a a 1930s movie. Terms of Endearment is an adaptation of a beloved book, the bestseller. Um, You know, Meaning of Life is another Monty Python movie. There were three Stephen King movies that came out this year. Cujo, Dead Zone, Christine. Um, you know, there was a third Jaws. There was a a, a, a sequel to uh, Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, that's right. Oh like you're God. just seeing Hollywood just cash in. It's like an identity crisis, really. It is, is it a major like. identity crisis. Because even in '81, you had, like you said, Raiders, but you also had uh, the Road Warrior. Right. Like just the last breath of like really explosive cinema, mm. and then it just kind of fizzles out. Right. Like I, it really doesn't get an. It, it doesn't get a lot better. I mean, I mean, I don't know. 
I, I suppose it gets better in, in a way, but maybe, I don't know. It just doesn't have the same sort of sharp stick mentality that the 70s had, which I love so much. Sure. I just love those movies that took so many chances and so many paid off, you know? Right. Whereas, like, like even the best movies that came out later on, it's like, yeah, okay, that's like a surefire hit. You're not really taking a lot of risk. Mm-hmm. We love Back to the Future to Death. Sure. But, you know, that's like a popcorn film. Yeah. Through and through. 100%. So. Yeah, and the 80s are, I think, you look back on it, not defined by Raging Bull, but defined by Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I, I just think this is sort of the the nadir uh, of that whole era. I just think this, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is as bad as it gets. This is as bad as it gets, it, I, it, I think. I, I mean, th- there's a couple movies on this list that I uh, that I saw for the first time I really love. Yeah. I really, really love. But what even then, I will say, like, I mean, I'm not sure, like, like either of them were ever going to have a chance to like be considered some of my favorites. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know how you describe that when you're talking about movies and it's like, yeah, it's really good. It's just something, I don't know what that tangible thing is. It's just not quite there for me. Right. Uh, I mean, I still think th- these are six good movies. Yes, I agree. I think we're talking about six good movies. Um, and one of them is going to get in for the movie <laughs> hall of fame, but yeah, I, uh, I just think it's a really weird time. I think you put it perfectly. It was a serious identity crisis uh-huh. for Hollywood. Um, and they figured it out. Yeah. Well, they came back around in the 90s. Oh, my God. The 90s. Came back around. But 70s and the 90s, man. Yeah. You know? And I like the 60s, actually. I do like the 60s. But uh, not as good as those other two. All right. Um, highest grossing movie of that year, Return of the Jedi. Which, honestly, after watching at least, I guess at least one of these movies, there, there might have been a spot for it. Yeah, we probably could have put it in. Yeah. Uh, Terms of Endearments, number two. Flashdance is number three. Really? Okay, interesting. Trading Places is number four. War Games, number five. Um, your Best Picture nominees, The Big Chill, The Dresser, The Right Stuff, Tender Mercies, and Terms of Endearment wins. James L. Brooks wins Best Director for Terms of Endearment. Bobby Duvall wins Best Actor for Tender Mercies. Shirley McLean wins Best Actress for Terms of Endearment. Jack Nicholson wins Best Supporting Actor for Terms of Endearment, and Linda Hunt wins Best Supporting Actress for The Year of Living Dangerously. That came out? Oh, I should have nominated that. It's a great movie. Wow, never seen it. Great movie. Really? Yeah, really, really good. What, what's it about? Oh, it's, it's about uh, a couple journalists going to investigate like a, like a political struggle in, I forgot where the, the country was, but it's like there's just, they're, they're just reporting on it. And it's, oh, yeah, Peter Weir movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's awesome. And Mel Gibson's really great in it. A young Mel Gibson. Yeah, I love that movie. Shit. <laughs> it didn't pop up when I was searching for it. Sorry. Had I known, I would have nominated that. Apologies. Really good movie. Uh, you got some other honorable mentions here, as as we just said it. You know, the right stuff is um, is fine. Good. I think it's good. No, it's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like I said, like for what we were doing and the fact that I needed to watch four movies, I didn't have the time. That's a long movie. It is certainly very long. Um Vacation came out that year, which is like, okay, whatever. Uh, Twilight Zone, the movie. Conversation. Certainly. Certainly. One day. Okay. We'll have that conversation. I, I've been kind of curious to talk about that one. I think we ought to do like an anthology movie podcast. There's a, it's actually a pretty decent selection of those. You'd be surprised. You yeah. know. Uh, Trading Places, I just said. Uh, sudden Impact. Oh, Sudden Impact. Another Dirty Harry movie. I mean, like, you just see all these franchises. Um, you sort of see the, the birth of franchise culture. That's a good point. Yeah. Sudden Impact's okay. Zelig is already in the Movie Hall of Fame. Uh, a Christmas Story was nominated for our uh, Best okay. Movie Podcast, or Best Christmas Movie Podcast. 
video drum we talked about on the other show as we did sleepaway camp <laughs> sleepaway camp <laughs> great movie great movie uh, octopussy not a bad bond movie no it's a bad bond movie. no it's not but it's a great bond movie it's not bottom five no Give me Octopussy over every Pierce Brosnan Bond movie. No. <laughs> okay. Over every single one. Uh, it's not better than GoldenEye, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> if anything, just for that Sean Bean performance, it's not better. It's not better than the GoldenEye video game, but beyond that. You like the GoldenEye video game? Yeah. You know, when I played on arcades and shit. I love that game. Staying Alive, as I said, it's just a shit movie. Um, Bill Cosby himself is technically a movie because it was released theatrically. Um, okay. You know, obviously you can't say that you like Bill Cosby's comedy now, but I like Bill Cosby's comedy. And I think that special is as good as stand-up gets, personally. Also a rapist and a horrible person, but like... Oh, oh, we have to throw that in every time now, in case you didn't forget. Like, you know know that Harvey Weinstein? I really like Pulp Fiction. (laughs) Bill Cosby's a monster, and also Bill Cosby himself is perhaps the greatest stand-up special of all time. What, What happened? That sucks, isn't it? Isn't it so frustrating that you have to put that little uh, uh, warning at the head of every movie that <laughs> or, or, or act that this person has done? I don't know. Yeah, it's, no, it does. What are you going to do? Poor Billy. Actually, no, not poor Billy. <laughs> not poor Billy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that man got exactly what was coming to him. Yeah. Uh, oh, poor Billy Cosby. <laughs> and uh, one, of my, one of my faves of all time. Yes. As you know, Mr. Mom. Oh, Mr. Fucking Mom. Have I seen Mr. Mom? We may have to correct that soon. If you have not seen Mr. Mom. Does that have Sly? uh, No, it does not. It has Michael Keaton. Oh, oh, that's right. Terry Garr. That's right. Martin Mull. Yeah, I've not seen it. 220, 221, whatever it takes. That's the, this is the movie that confused people when Michael Keaton was cast as Bruce Wayne. Correct. Slash Batman. And also one of Nico's favorites growing up. Mr. Mom. So good. (laughs) So fucking good. All right. I don't even know if it's good, but I love it so much. (laughs) I love it. It just kills me. Okay. uh, Let's start. Here we go. Uh, War Games is first directed by John Badham, starring Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy, and Dabney Coleman. Mm. Nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Sound at the Oscars. Three Oscar nominations for War Games. Really? Okay. A young man finds a back door (laughs) into a military central computer in which reality is confused with game playing, possibly starting World War III. Adam, the only way to win is not to play. Oh, ain't that sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Most dated movie of all time? What do you think? No, uh, not the most dated movie of all time, but still pretty dated. Uh Uh, I mean, yeah, I know. I, 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 I had fun with it. First time ever watching it. It's it it it's good enough. Um, I I think in the grand scheme of things, it's super disposable. It feels like a movie that fucking like like Taylor Lautner would have starred in today. <laughs> you know, uh, th- there's a little more uh, attention given to like s- like some of the performances, and I would say uh, the 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 handling of the tension in this is better than your 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 I guess your standard fare like this that we would have today. But it's you know, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous movie. <laughs> yeah, sure uh, it is. 
I don't know how to square this one exactly because I'd say I don't want to come down like and, and be hypocritical because I like I, I feel like had I seen this when I was young, I would have lumped it into like the same category as like Jumanji, right. which is like a childhood favorite of mine, even though I know it's not like a great movie. Sure. Uh, That's where I lump it, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it. Yeah, it's it, it's fun enough. You know, this is another like movie that I could could have seen like getting thrown in like like a I don't know, like a a school class or something. I don't know. Oh, I don't, definitely. I don't know which class we would watch this in, <laughs> but there's something about it that feels like something you would show in school. I don't know what it is, but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a little indifferent. I had, I had fun, but I wasn't like crazy about it necessarily. Um, yeah, that's I guess about how you would react when you're 25 and you watch the movie. <laughs> and I, I get it. I mean, luckily I saw it at the right time. I guess. Um, you know who loves this movie though? Who? Roger Ebert. Does he? His review of this movie is just one for the history books, dude. Oh. Four star review. He's like writing about like how he's setting his type margins when he's writing the review and like explaining how computers worked and word processors worked in 1983. Okay. And then he ends up calling Matthew Broderick the kid from Max Dugan Returns. <laughs> it's just it's an unbelievable what? time capsule. Oh, like wow. that thing belongs to the Smithsonian. It's so good. Damn. Four star review of this movie. He's just like John Badham knows exactly what he's doing on every turn. It's not a poorly directed movie. Like there's not a lot of things about it that are like bad, I guess. Yeah. I, I think every time I see this and they go to find like the the, the scientist character who, who knows it all right. and their motivation is just non-existent. It's just, I'm just going to let stuff happen. Right. How could we're you gonna let die stuff? anyway? It's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, we're all doomed, you know, I'm, and Maybe we're, we buy 10 years. We're close to the blasto. So I'm putting us out of our misery. Not like everyone else who has to slum around in the ash. It's like, <laughs> okay, dude, what happened to you, man? Like, <laughs> he lost too many battles of chess to this computer or something. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, there's not a lot to talk about with war games. Well, okay. So I do think it's in conversation for one of the most dated movies of all time. Like not just in how it's designed, obviously, like the design of that computer with all the flashing lights is absurd and it's all absurd, right? And just the entire premise and that you wouldn't have a fail safe and you wouldn't be able to like hack into the computer and stop nuclear war from happening. Also, the fact that you're cracking up every time they say backdoor, literally Every time they say backdoor, I went, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, it's also pretty outdated, like thematically. Like, these well, that, are no questions that we're asking anymore. No, and this is the issue with like, like movies that were so fixated on the the, the threat of nuclear war. I mean, even back then, <laughs> I look at I look at these stories, and I honestly, I I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speak to what the 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 environment must have been like, but like, it's a stupid idea. <laughs> like, like right. the, you you look at like what nuclear war. Actually actually means and what would happen like like if anyone slipped up which was very hard to do i'm like like no no one would ever fall for this shit i just think it's dumb i i don't know yeah that's cool and all but here here's the thing right like at least that was a legit fear that people did have and the movies of the era that are rooted in fear of nuclear war are rooted in actual human existence as opposed to this movie, which is about the question of whether or not we should replace humans with computers, <laughs> which has been answered. Yeah. The answer is yes. We should replace humans with computers, and we have replaced humans with computers, and it's over now. Like, it's done. So it's like that question is that philosophical quandary is so specific to the 80s 
and also just so obvious in 2021. Like, yeah, you don't need a guy with a key anymore. Like, the computer can do it. And you don't need a cashier at McDonald's anymore. The computer can do it. Is missing. it bad? Sure, it's I bad. Say, I think that's missing the point. I think the movie's saying don't replace it. No, I get it. People. No, I get what the movie's saying. But also, this is not even something we concern ourselves no, with No, no, exactly. Like, no one gives a shit about nuclear war. It's not going to happen. You know? So it's not necessarily... It's it's not even rooted in a, like, legit moral quandary. It's yeah. not rooted in, like, a, in a... in in a part of human existence that you experience every day. It's about, yeah, should our computers ultimately going to be smarter than humans? Well, yep. yes, of course it is. And any suggestion that it won't be is just, we now know is wrong. You know? So like the movie is just outdated in every facet. Obviously we know technology doesn't work that yep. way. And also we just know. Yeah. I mean like, yeah, why would you have a computer fighting war? <laughs> why would this kid be able to do all of this shit? Right. It's just so cheesy. I, and I don't know, like maybe that's the issue for me is that it's not rooted in anything bigger than that. Like more like, like universal ideas. Right. I kept thinking about Terminator while watching this sure. and how that movie is very existential and it's all about fate and it's all about sort of like self-fulfilling prophecies. But the, I, I guess the, the backdrop is nuclear war and the backdrop is like, yeah, technology taking over, but it, it uses that as like the fuel to, to sort of explore other ideas, Sure, which is great. And, and I think that movie is maybe, maybe the best example of this kind of story done right, where people can still watch it today and have a good time. But the, I mean, the other thing is that they're just great action movies. Yeah. So <laughs> there's also yeah, that, but it's also rooted in science fiction yes. and fantasy, which is like, that, that is a world that we don't live in and probably will never live in. But the idea that we could live in a world like that is always intriguing right or some form of that world that's the idea sure this is a movie set in 1983 about 1983 and about the technology available to these people in 1983 and again it's just sort of the stakes are almost not high enough yeah you know what i mean like i think uh, the threat of destruction (laughs) of the entire species is i guess a tangible threat in the movie but like also we just know better now yeah. And like none of this rings true anymore. No, I, I agree. I, I think it's a fine movie just as like a thriller. It's I, totally fun. It's to, but like incredibly entertaining. I also just think like like you're not necessarily taking this this premise seriously enough when you put it in the premise of like a, a, a like a young adult story. Yeah. Because that's what it is. Sure. It's yeah. like a young adult like it's the maze runner. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what this is. <laughs> and it's like, I, I just, I don't know. Maybe I just don't have time for movies like that. Like, I, don't, I get it. I have a very broad palette. <laughs> yes. Maybe too broad. We've established that. <laughs> I like fucking everything. But yeah, I, I think like, I don't know. It's just disingenuous. Maybe you're right at the end of the day. Yeah. No, no matter how you swing it. It's cool. I love it. It's, I don't know. I, it's enjoyable. No, it is enjoyable. I, I But like a four-star review like oh yeah they got three oscar nominations very weird they got a best screenplay nomination that's what i keep saying like like you can you can maybe comment on like the things that people are feeling in a in any given year but just like don't dig yourself into to a specific year i don't like it when any movie does that it, it, it always ends up being dated right 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 yeah it's very much of the moment yeah and um yeah, I mean, it's a cool time capsule, I guess. I suppose. I'm sorry for making you watch it. I'm sorry for no, wasting I, your uh, hour and a half. I, I enjoyed, like, Matthew Broderick's fun. Yeah. And Ali Sheedy's good. Ali Sheedy, yeah, yeah, I agree. The guy, there's a, the, the teacher I recognized from exactly one film. What was that? Uh, Jason Lives. 
Okay. Ha ha. Okay. <laughs> Pops up in a little cameo role as he's playing paintball. Okay. And uh, gets his comeuppance, finally. Yeah, no, a lot of good character actors. Dabney Coleman's in this shit. Um, uh, just, yeah. Uh, uh, I think Michael Madsen's in the first scene, Yeah, isn't he, he is, he is, yeah. which I thought was kind of funny. And then he ends up, like, pointing his gun at the guy for not turning his key. And I'm like, yeah, Leo uh, from uh, West Wing. John Spencer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, oh God movies. You're being, you're being very theatrical. Okay. Well, that's war games. Yeah. It's we, not going to get into the movie Hall of Fame. No. Unfortunately. Sorry, Roger. Sorry, Raj. <laughs> uh, old Raj. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. We talked about it on another on another show, um, yep. but we're going to talk about it again here. Directed by Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam, also starring Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam, along with Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin, nominated for Best Original Song at the BAFTAs that year. Every sperm is sacred. <laughs> Got a BAFTA nomination. It? Yes, it did. Wow. I just wanted to, I want to see that award show where like every, and the nominees are every sperm is sacred. (laughs) The comedy team takes a look at life and all of its stages in their own uniquely silly way. You're the Monty Python guy. So why don't you take this one away? Yeah. It's sort of like, like up there for me. Like I, it's a, it's a funny movie where it's like every time I watch it, there's a little bit of me that wants to put it above Holy Grail. And I don't think it's quite there, but, uh, it's like one of the funniest movies I think I've ever seen. It's so fucking funny. And and it, it's 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 pulling from the structure of their uh Flying Circus TV show like pretty heavily. Mm. Um and even though like I love their Flying Circus, there's a lot of like restraint with those because even then there's stuff that they weren't getting away with that they clearly wanted to. So here they have like this palette to do quite literally whatever they want. And it is total unbridled rage by <laughs> the Monty Python uh, uh, comedy trope. Right. And yeah, like I, like <laughs> I'd love to see someone getting into this movie thinking it's actually going to be about the meaning of life. <laughs> no, that's the great part when they're in the middle and they're the goldfish. Right. And they're like, it's really pretty good, but they've really talked about the meaning of life. Have they? It not come up. I think they'll get to it. Yeah. Just keep watching. <laughs> okay. So we watched this as part of the Monty Python month uh, a couple years ago. And um, like, I I might put it above the other two. Like I when I saw it, I don't think I immediately thought it was better than Holy Grail. I did think it was better than Life of Brian. Mm-hmm. I like Brian isn't really my bag. I don't know. Uh, I know you love that movie. That's um, more like, like the kind of like I would even say that's. So I've seen a lot of people put Life of Brian above uh, Holy Grail. Yes. Which is interesting. I mean, I love the ending of it. Oh, I yeah. love always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think the further away I get from it, the absurdity and the just sort of like fuck it attitude yeah. of meaning of life. It's great. It's just so appealing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the most American movie in that way. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. although, the, of okay. course, there's a lot of like, you know, snarky, dry British comedy. Oh, like, yeah. You know, the scene at the beginning with the uh, or the short film, I should say, at the beginning, the Crimson Permanent Assurance is <laughs> so goddamn funny, so larger than life and so creative and brilliant. That's the thing. Like these movies are really, really, really visually creative. Yeah. In a way that like no comedy ever is. Yeah. So to see to, to, to see to see a comedy where and not to sound pretentious and I hate to do this, but where it's like that was a film, guys. Right. You know, right. There's just like a lot of attention given to the craft and just the, just the amount of ideas that are actually translated to the screen. Well, sure. It's just it's just really, really impressive, even not just as a comedy, but just as a, as a film, like I said. Right. 
And you know, you have the Mr. Creosote stuff. And like, <laughs> like that to me is very American. You know what I mean? <laughs> I guess like it, it does play in line with like the uh, self-deprecating nature of British humor, which is sort of defines everything that they are. Have I ever told you the distinction between British and American with the animal house? That, uh, go ahead. Give it to me. Uh, I, I, I think, it, yeah, Pierce Morgan was trying to like, he was at, <laughs> Of all people I know. But he makes a good point here. Okay. Um, like someone was asking, what's the difference between American and English comedy? And he's like, I mean, I can't really like define it per se, but to give you an idea with an example, there's a scene in Animal House where John Belushi comes down the stairs and there's this guy, you know, you know, trying to uh, serenade the girls. Right, right, right. And he steals the guitar and away from the guy it, and right. smashes it against the wall. Right. Here's the difference between American and English comedy. Americans want to be John Belushi and the English want to be the guy getting his guitar smashed. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. I love that illustration. <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, I, okay. So maybe I, from from that lens, then it, it is still very British. <laughs> like, I, I just look at, you know, Holy Grail, which is a great movie. I think it's probably still their masterpiece. But a lot of that movie is just like, oh, Chapo, he got stabbed. Isn't it so funny? Tis a flesh wound. (laughs) It's silly. Yes. Ta-ta. You know, just laughing at just sort of, you know, absurd stuff that happens without, you know, the characters reacting too much. (laughs) Yeah. And this is a movie where a guy just vomits all over a restaurant. One of the most disgusting scenes ever, and I've seen Cannibal Holocaust. Right. This That literally makes me want to puke every time I see that scene. Sure. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just think the further away I get from it, the more like the individual vignettes in this movie stick with me mm-hmm. than even anything in Monty Python. Like even the find the fish scene. <laughs> I wonder where that fish has gone. <laughs> like, how do you come up with that? Where is that from? Why is it funny? Exa- yeah, exa- <laughs> Why is it funny? I, I don't know. And maybe that's why I love Monty Python so much is that they just got like joke after joke, just pages of this stuff where it's like, why the fuck am I laughing at this? (laughs) Why do I think it's brilliant? (laughs) And I can never answer it. And maybe I like it when I can't necessarily come to a definitive answer on that, like just something that feels untouchable. It just is funny and just leave it be, Mm. you know. I also just appreciate the structure of this movie in a funny way. It is kind of like an anthology film in a lot of ways. Yeah. On the topic of anthology films. But I don't know. There's just like a remove for me in a way that's really pleasant where I can just kind of sit back and relax and know that the movie's going to take me on an interesting ride. I don't have to worry so much about the movie tricking me to be invested with these characters, right. which, which sometimes happen with these absurd comedies. In a way, kind of happens with Monty Python. I think the joke is hilarious, but I have seen people get infuriated by the ending of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I don't totally blame you. Uh-huh. I think you missed the point, but still. <laughs> <laughs> but in this, there, there is like, oddly, even though I think it's way out there, like even more so than uh, uh, Holy Grail, there's something just more accessible about it <laughs> in terms of that approach to storytelling, right. which I really appreciate. So, Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm also just like baffled how they got the money for this thing. That's because <laughs> it's a very expensive movie. Yeah. And they use that budget. I mean, it's all on screen. They put that all out there. But I I think that original Crimson Permanent Assurance was supposed to be animated. And I think Terry Gillum convinced them otherwise. Mm. Uh, But yeah, just like the art direction here is there's so much on screen. And did they make a movie after this? What what did they do? Did they go back to TV? 
Mm, man, I don't know. I'm not sure they did make a movie after this. This might have been their last one, right? Yeah. Uh, let me look that up real quick. Let's see. Monty Python. They might have done TV stuff. I think they went off and they, they might have split away, to my understanding. Okay, they did Flying Circus into 74. Uh, that was six, six and nine, seventy-four. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Terry Gillum did Brazil a couple years later. I think he was doing more solo stuff. Uh, yeah, Michael Palin was in Brazil as well. So correct. Yeah, there's a lot. They kind of you know branched off and sort of recouped, and a few of them collaborated, you know, just as partners. But they never like did anything as a group ever again i think they did a reunion tour live a couple years ago oh, they did okay yeah they did some live sketches oh uh yeah uh monty python night 30 years of monty python was a tv special and that was that yeah and then they did a live thing in 2014 so yeah it, this was sort of the end of it but what a way to go out i guess yeah i understand why the studios would never want to give the money again though <laughs> yeah it's uh i mean i don't know it's i, I think i think for like it's 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 the kind of film that like fits well in line with like a bunch of like college students who are film snobs, mm. and they're going to be watching this before Holy Grail, in my opinion. Right, there's just something about it that has that like esoteric feel. Sure, but I, I really do think it's it's oddly a little more approachable because <laughs> it's just also like right out the gate, just like insanely yes. funny. Like there's nothing. I mean, one of the, the the greatest laughs that I think I've ever seen out of you is when they get to the edge of the earth for oh, no yeah. reason. Oh yeah. And they're on their journey and then they just fell off the edge That's of the so earth. Good. <laughs> and then it's main such, title. It is a perfect punchline. <laughs> it's just, it is. Yeah. If you just want joke construction, that's it right there. I love when the girl's having the baby and they have the meat cleaver to chop oh, <laughs> the umbilical cord clear. But the guy gets <laughs> surgery when they give it, they just take his full stomach out. <laughs> And they they never cut that shot. It's just like two mediums of like Michael Palin and John Cleese cutting it out and stomach. <laughs> <laughs> it's too good. All right, that is Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Next up, The Big Chill. Oh yeah, written and directed by Lawrence Kasdan. Big surprise for me watching. Okay, starring Tom Berenger, Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt. And Kevin Klein, what a cast. Yep. Nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actress, Original Screenplay at the Oscars. A group of seven former college friends gather for a weekend reunion at a South Carolina vacation home after the funeral of another of their college friends. Mm-hmm. Is the first time you saw it? Yep. Okay. Yeah. This movie rocks. It's awesome. This movie it? rocks. It's fucking dope. This movie's awesome. <laughs> yeah, really this movie's good. Awesome. <laughs> it's it's uh yeah, loved it. Loved it, loved it. I'm not I, I I don't know how I feel about Kevin Klein having sex with the girl. I don't buy any human being would be okay with that. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it with Abby and she was really offended. And I was like, I'm turning to her, I'm like Abby, I kind of love this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. That would probably never happen. But I again, it's more. I it's literally happen happening. But my interpretation is more of a, a a greater thing. It's more of a thematic purpose. Let me ask you a question. You were watching this with Abby. Did she see any parallels between her group of friends and the movie? Mm, no, I don't think she was really trying to though. Okay, because I did. Yeah, I kind of did too. Yeah, I yep. did. I think it's one of the greatest movies about friendship. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. Um. Yeah. 
there's a line in this movie where the the guy Alex who kills himself at the beginning, his girlfriend is hanging out with this old group of college buddies, and she's like, "Man, you guys really do talk about the past a lot." And um, you know, I was thinking about that because that's something I'm told all the time whenever like I'm with our group of friends and someone new will enter the equation and like we'll be talking pleasantly about what's going on in our lives now but ultimately it'll just result in what we were doing 10 years ago yeah and i'll hear all the time people like man you guys gotta stop looking back so much like move forward quit reminiscing a lot of people do that though don't they everybody does that yeah everybody yes if you're with certain people yeah Mm -hmm. if you're with the right people Yes, your conversations ultimately are going to come back to the same point mm-hmm. in your lives because I guess they were the most important. In hindsight, you know, your college years, your high school years are the most important and most formative. Uh, and that just really speaks to me, man. Like, I just, I see a lot in common with the, the friends that I made in high school and college and, and my relationship with them now. I'm not as old as the characters in this movie. And, uh, you know, there's not as much, I guess, dread and regret as some of these characters have. Sort of. But I I relate to it in a very profound level. I thought it was very, like, authentic with the handling of those things. I mean, the characters to me are just as mature as they are youthful, which I thought was a great balance. Well, it's a cool age. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. They're right in between where that would make a lot of sense. Right. And I also just thought, like, the handling of those conversations was like, okay, finally a movie gets this right, where it's like, it gets dramatic, but it also knows when to pull back. Sure. Because that's so true to life. Like, the movie is very, very smart about, okay, guys, like, what the fuck is the matter with you? How could you say that about Alex? And then the following scene, they're kind of having fun, and there's this really great music playing. Also, the soundtrack, beautiful. It's awesome. Yeah, I I want to talk about that in a second. But you're 100% right. Like, those scenes, that one confrontational scene where William Hurt's, like, drunk, right? Is that yeah. the one you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes off on all his friends. and's like, we're not actually friends, all yeah, this shit. Exactly. And then he leaves the room because everyone's like, all right, settle down. <laughs> and then they get back to laughing and hugging. Yes. And then the following morning, yeah. William Hurt and Tom Berenger just have this giant bear hug in the kitchen. It's great. And it, you're 100% right. Uh-huh. Like, there are so many times where I've been in that situation uh-huh. before. And it's like you're friends and you don't want to kill the vibe. Somebody, some, sometimes somebody goes too far and it's over with and yep. you move on. Because I see movies that like do that and like the circumstances are not big enough for them to not recoil. Like I've seen instances where it's like, okay, the movie is a little more theatrical and the, the premise of the movie is just out there. Like maybe a friend caused the death of somebody else. Like, okay, I get that. But, sure. but this is just friends being friends. Right. And if in that scene they decided, well, I'm not going to be friends with you anymore. And someone storms out and leaves and it's this big dramatic moment as they're looking for him in the cornfield or whatever the fuck. <laughs> right. Like that's, that would not work for this type of story whatsoever. Sure. I, just, I just really appreciated the movie's honesty to be like, eh, you know what? they would come back together. Yeah, you might say yeah. the line, we're not friends anymore, but no one ever means that Exactly, line. exactly. <laughs> Never has that been uttered and meant in the history of mankind. And I just think that tonal volley that this movie is constantly playing, because that does happen a few times. I just think it's really, really smart and beautiful. Yes. And I just think it pulls it off basically flawlessly. I really love this movie. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, the dialogue's just awesome. Yep. And this cast, it's, I mean, it's dope. It's so authentic. <laughs> it's <fucking> awesome. <laughs> I mean, apparently Lawrence Kasdan made them just stay in a, in a house by themselves for nine days mm-hmm. leading up to this movie. And at one point I think he was there with them and they were improvising and going through some lines of dialogue. And eventually he just got up and left. And he's just like, you guys are going to spend the next two days together in character, That's just good. being you. 
and it does feel like these guys go back 20 years. It's great chemistry. It's amazing Perfect. chemistry. Yeah. Even just like the scenes that should be awkward where the woman's asking the guy to have sex with her to have a baby. Right. <laughs> what did he say that just cracked it cracked me up? It's <laughs> the scene ends on like this really tender moment and then as an just to be a dick he's just like so you want to fuck? <laughs> and she just like smacks him in the chest and, right. he, and then he gives her a hug. And I'm like, yes, movie. Perfect. Yeah. That, those are, I completely buy that those are actual friends. Right. And you know, Jeff Goldblum just constantly being <laughs> flirty with every girl and every girl just being like, oh, that's Goldblum. I've known too many people that are exactly like Jeff. Oh my God. So many of them. So many people. So many. And then William Hurt's amazing in the movie as just sort of the like quiet guy that can snap at any moment. Also, William Hurt's really good in this movie. He's amazing. This is like my favorite William Hurt performance. Oh, wow. There's a lot of them. On, honestly. There's a lot of them. Honestly. Sorry, Jabril. Uh, yeah. Dude, <laughs> <laughs> this is the take that I will never understand. <laughs> Jabril is just like hates William Hurt. <laughs> And I don't know what could possibly bring that about. I love every once in a while just calling out Jabriel on the pod. For what is it? Because I know he gets a kick out of it. What is that about? <laughs> he's amazing I, I, in every movie he's ever been in. <laughs> no, that's the thing. I'm like, like, what has he ever been like? I, I think he, he finds William Hurt boring. I guess the role in Incredible Hulk is boring. Sure. <laughs> I, I, that's as far as I'll go. There's definitely similarities to some of his performances. I, I don't disagree with that, but like he's just a charismatic presence, even even when he's like doing some of the same tricks. But I wouldn't describe that as him here. I think there's a lot of range though. No, man. and here especially, it's like, whoa, okay, he he's he's this he he plays a, a good sort of detached weirdo. There is nothing in common I, between his role here and his role in broadcast no, news. No, there's not at nothing. All. Even no. though same era, same kind of style of movie, totally different characters. Yeah. No, um, and I agree. Uh, uh, History of Violence. Same yeah. thing, too. I mean, he's in 10 minutes of that movie, but that is just like a movie star. Holy shit. Who's that guy? Exactly. Yeah. He's amazing. That, th- those are like, the, it's funny you mentioned all, all three of these movies because those are the ones that I kind of point to to describe his range. And I guess Kiss of the Spider Woman. Right. Uh, but yeah, like, like I, I don't know. I... He's a little low like this and talking like, like I, I get that, but yes, the voice, I guess, is the, the same. same. He's not he's not <laughs> he's not uh, adopting a, a Polish accent like Meryl <laughs> Streep. Maybe that's what he needs to do. OK, Adopt I know that Polish is the accent. definition of great acting is when you can <laughs> you can nail the accent work. Yeah, that's why Al Pacino and Scarface is so amazing. But uh, no, boy, we'll get to that. No, I mean, yeah, I, I sort of agree with you 100 percent. It's such an interesting period in the lives of these people because they're old enough to sort of be set in their ways, uh, but also not old enough to know what's coming. And there's mm-hmm. like that weird, um, you know, the character who is like uh, is like uh, haunted by her fertility. Right. And like how she has to get a baby because yeah. her biological clock is ticking. Like, she's at that point in her life, but she also has a lot of regret about where she was. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's just not a lot of movies like that. It's kind of like The Breakfast Club for people in their 30s. I had movie. a very, very, very similar thought. You know? Almost exactly the same thought. I, I was like, what is this movie kind of reminding me of? And that might be exactly it. It's weird, because they're not, like, old enough to to be, I guess, 
I mean, when you're 50, you have a midlife crisis. But this is very much like a midlife crisis kind of movie. I mean, they're not over the hill, but they're no. also not young anymore. No. And you know, they're old enough to reminisce, but still young to be uncertain about the future. And there's just not a lot of movies about that. High school, we just go back time and time again to that genre, specifically in the 80s. And even like, you know, movies about older people and and uh, and uh, contemplating mortality. Like, <laughs> we're going to get there. <laughs> sure. Hundred <laughs> um, percent. A lot of movies about that. Not many movies about this particular era, sure. and not a lot of movies about these kinds of platonic friendships too, which I, I thought was just really refreshing. I thought like it's about ninety five percent perfect. The platonic friendship, like I said, like by the time, uh, um, by the time Kevin Klein's character is having sex with that one woman, I keep forgetting her name. Uh, that's when I'm like, okay, yeah, just a step too far. Right. I don't buy that whatsoever, but everything else is basically perfect. Yes. Yeah. You did. You did. You done good movie. Now the soundtrack, this is something that people have complained about. Come on. A lot. And I fucking love it. Believe it or not. There've been a lot of like mixed reviews over the years of this movie. Really? Yeah. Ebert didn't love it. Uh, you know, I, I think it's sort of. I don't want to say gained a cult status, but I think has gained fonder appreciation among like cinephiles. But it was adopted by uh, Criterion, so it was. It was in Criterion, and and there have been like sort of spiritual remakes of these movies over the years. I think Drinking Buddies was basically mm-hmm. the same thing. Um, I don't like that movie. I haven't seen it. Mm, don't okay. like it. Uh, yeah, a lot of mumblecore movies though that are exactly. Oh my like god! This. But this is not a mumblecore movie. This is a very like in a way like the the. the the story is not rigidly structured, but the dialogue certainly is. Right. So, I, I, what, Here's the thing, though. Uh, the main complaint that I've seen is the soundtrack's a little too on the nose. Like, all of the needle drops, it's like, someone's sad, so they're playing Tracks of Your Tears by Smokey Robinson. <laughs> tracks of My Tears by Smokey Robinson. Oh, they're having sex. Let's play Aretha Franklin's Natural Woman. You know, like, and I get that. I just love the fucking songs. They're great songs. Yeah. <laughs> I like stuff that is like knowingly on the nose, but also like pays it off with like, uh, like great music. It's going to sound very weird, but one movie that does it extremely well is the Martian. Where yeah, al- yeah. Almost yeah, yeah. every needle drop is v- like hilariously intentional. Sure. But given like what the movie's talking about, it's like, go ahead. <laughs> the movie needs a little joy. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. It's also, again, tonally, that balance makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And it's about characters that, yeah, yeah like kind of corny music. Sure. And that perhaps think of the ni- 1960s in a very simplistic way. If they started playing like, like fucking, I don't know, like Black Sabbath would be out of place. Sure. <laughs> That's the other thing is that the music is also something that feels like the, the type of shit that they would listen to. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when the guy plays, you can't always get what you want on the organ. Like, I'm just a sucker for that shit. <laughs> yes. I'm a sucker for it. But I understand the criticism. I do get the criticism. I do. But I do. but that organ thing, I think that informs the rest of the musical choices. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Definitely. Even the baby. No, that was a great, a great opening. I love that opening. Yeah, this is a really good movie. I, Anybody I, that doesn't like it needs to remove yeah. that stick out of their ass. Yeah, I, I was like, this was really great stuff i was very 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 happy with this one all right uh next this is a movie that i watched for the first time which i was shocked this week absolutely shocked it's called risky business which i had seen in parts but not in its entirety until recently well i mean i've seen the scene like no no no. i mean i had seen like more than just the scene is what i'm saying 
Uh, written and directed by Paul Brickman, starring Tom Cruise, Rebecca De Mornay, and Joe Pantoliano. Yeah. Joey Pants, baby. Yeah. A Chicago teenager is looking for fun at home while his parents are away, but the situation quickly gets out of hand. Mm. Um, the movie that rocketed Tom Cruise into superstardom. Yep. This, and it, this is his first one, really, right? It was like an epiphany for me. Yeah. Because I don't like Tom Cruise. Right. At and all. You're wrong, but that's no, cool. No. Hey, I'm not alone on that. Yeah, you're of, not. A lot of people don't, don't give a fuck about Tom Cruise. Like his he, former wives. Because he's yes. a crazy person. <laughs> and he doesn't have a lot of charisma. But. It's just not but, true. But. It's just categorically false. It's categorically true. If you just break the the elements down, you're like, oh, yeah, he doesn't have any charisma. Great. Uh, but. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But. Uh, the, he, he hadn't reached his half-life in this movie. It's, if we're making uh, uh, <laughs> chemistry analogies. Yeah, I watched this and I was like, hmm, okay, I get it. I understand where it was coming from. I understand why everybody fell in love with Tom Cruise because he is really good in this movie. And I loved him in this movie. I love watching him in this movie. Great. Everything about this worked. Okay, let's go <laughs> back me. and watch Magnolia now. I like him in Magnolia. Okay, all right, go back and watch Edge of Tomorrow. What don't you like him in? Oh, I the, basically once we get to uh, Minority Report, yeah, maybe I find him boring. I find him very boring. Okay. It's not that I think Rain he, Man. I like him in Rain Man. He's great in Rain yeah. Man. But, but a lot of his stuff now, like basically all of the recent Mission Impossible movies, even though I like most of those movies, I just find him to be extremely boring. I think the roles he's choosing now are yes, I think you're right, extremely boring. But I think he's choosing to be a stuntman now. Oh, great. Yeah. No, but I think like if Tom Cruise had the career of Keanu Reeves in the 90s oh. and then did the Mission Impossible movies, no one would say shit. All right. We'll put it this way. Um, I, I wish he had the the charisma that he has in this movie. I wish he had that in Vanilla Sky. Might have made that a little bit better. How dare you? A little more tolerable. <laughs> that, that, that abortion of a movie. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> How's the fan club going, by the way, Nico? Is it growing at all? Oh yeah, <laughs> I've, I've actually I've I've set up a commune in my backyard. Oh, okay. I, I, you're not giving them punch, are you? Every night we <laughs> we build a um, we, we build a statue of, uh, of is it Cameron a, Diaz. Is it a golden statue? No, made out of twigs, and then we <laughs> and then we burn it as an effigy, <laughs> and uh, then we just fuck each other. Just a lot of a lot of incest. <laughs> A lot, a lot of, of incest happening oh, I see. at the Vanilla Sky cult. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? I would believe it. Don't even joke. I believe it. <laughs> Vanilla Sky is actually a pretty good name for a cult, though. It is. It's not bad. <laughs> at the Vanilla Sky Ranch, <laughs> 150 people are dead. <laughs> After their leader subjected them to a bad Tom Cruise movie every night. <laughs> They made him watch The Mummy for the 50th time. They didn't even have to talk him into suicide. They just did it. It's amazing. The best cult leader ever. Um, Scientology is interested. Okay, moving on. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, he's amazing in this movie, obviously. Um, I I, I knew Risky Business as the dance scene where he's in his underwear and you know, the premise I understood. And I, I know that that was the movie that made Wayfarer Ray bands like really popular. Mm. And like, yeah, I, I knew all of the, the sort of beats of the film. What I did not realize is just how damn good this script is. Yeah. Like this, this dialogue just pops. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I don't know what Paul Brickman went on to do after this. I, I assume it wasn't much cause I haven't really heard the name. Uh, 
but like, where have you gone? I mean, this is just Mm -hmm. such a fun, edgy, dangerous movie Mm -hmm. that has a lot of like the eighties aesthetic and looks a lot like a John Hughes movie Mm, and feels kind of like a John Hughes movie. But if you dig a little deeper under the surface, like none of the bones are John Hughes. Like there is no earnestness to this story at all. Uh, There's no sentimentality to the story at all. This is not the type of movie where everything ends up okay in like the Ferris Bueller sense. Mm. Um, Not a lot of hugs. Like this is just like a, a, it's that's what it is. It's a dark Ferris Bueller. (laughs) Yes. Is what this movie is. Um, And like, you know, maybe I like Ferris Bueller more, but I definitely I, I respect the attitude of this one a lot more. Sure. I loved it. Yeah. I, I, I love the movie. It's uh, yeah, one of my favorites on this list. I was kind of surprised by how much I liked it because I thought I would get in and kind of like like respect it enough and maybe respond to the, the, the aesthetic. But I was like like vibing with this movie a lot. Yeah. A lo- maybe a lot of it w- was like the seediness to it. But then I was also reflecting on it and it's like this is about a high schooler hooking up with a prostitute and running a brothel, <laughs> running a brothel yeah, yeah. for most of the movie. Like what is this? Sure. I'm in it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm down Ferris- to this. Bueller just went to a Cubs game like <laughs> yes exactly yeah. like I I don't know like and, and maybe the premise is ridiculous I, I I guess it is but like oddly I, I kind of bought into it <laughs> I think the movie does enough work for me to buy that this uh, maybe could happen in a theatrical sense I wasn't buying it yeah. like in terms of reality but the movie did enough work to make me believe it as a movie because often you would take something like this premise and it would just kind of be silly and stupid and done purely for like like fun and nothing else but i i don't know i i I thought it kind of works yeah the story doesn't feel forced at all no it it just unravels yeah and i love movies yeah that's a good point for the movie it's he's kind of constantly trying to like 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 get ahead of something that is ahead of him right there's a lot of like like anxiety uh, cinema where it's like the the conflict is constantly putting him down and he's chasing after it like in that like uh, uh uncut gems kind of way yeah definitely yeah or in that third act of goodfellas way yeah yeah, yeah. uh at first like oh the faberge egg is broken and, yeah you know then uh, the the pimp is on my tail and here's another hooker in the house and like she has nowhere to go and mm. also i have to pass this test or else i'm not going to get into stanford and you know all of this stuff um is yeah like tom cruise has to go a lot of places in this performance and yep. like that to me is my favorite tom cruise that's why i love him so much in rain man just when he is off the wall and is trying to juggle a million things the uh, the ray Liotta part in yep. goodfellas I, I just think like that is his singular energy like that manic that is energy, energy. Yeah. that manic energy just works so well and also when it's subverted in something like magnolia where he is doing that as a performance within the movie mm-hmm. i think it works great too um and hey tropic thunder same thing yeah you know i think anytime a director can capture that it works i i think you're here's what i'll give you credit for your tom cruise criticisms i think when he tries to get quiet uh-huh. he kind of loses steam yeah that's what i'll say i'll give you credit for that one i just yeah he doesn't he doesn't he's not a straight man he just right. doesn't play that he's sure. he is He's crazy. Tom Cruise is a nut. Sure. <laughs> so you have to kind of let him play someone who's not, maybe not necessarily a nut, but is taking on more than he can handle. Yeah. Which is why like performances like that always kind of work for me. And why like the Mission Impossible thing is sort of hit or miss because he has to be, 
he has to have a pretty decent amount of control yeah. for a performance like that. And very often I'm just like, Tom Cruise just feels like he's about to burst. <laughs> like you got to let him do a little bit more. Sure. And, and as a result, it just creates this sort of awkward gel of a performance. And same thing with like Vanilla Skies, that that's sort of a mixture of the two. And that's why I keep, I kept saying that his performance was confused in that. Yeah. Whereas like, he has to kind of be, I, I don't know what, I, I don't even know how to describe his performance in that. But there's a, there's an element of that movie that wants him to be just as unlikable as likable. And I'm like, Hmm. kind of battling my, my head with that one. Sure. I mean, Jerry Maguire, same thing. I think like yeah. that, that's a, that's a just high wire performance. And I, I love him in that. But I don't know what it is like, like him and a few good men. I could, I don't care about him at all. Oh, I love him. In that that, that's, that's another interesting one. Hmm. I don't know. I don't see him as a lawyer. Maybe that's I want to see him do more Sorkin dialogue though. Like, I just think he's really good at delivering that rhythm. I don't know. I don't know. He, 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 he emits a very pompous attitude <laughs> yeah, and that, <laughs> whenever sure. he has to. And it's just, it's, I don't know. It's just very grating for me. Okay. Um, here though. Yeah, you're right. He's, he's great. Um, it's very eighties mm. is the other thing. And, it, and like, that's what I was sort of saying before the whole John use of it all. Um, like just aesthetically a, a man and a woman having sex on a train, train. as in the air tonight plays. Yep. I mean, that is about as 80s core as you get, <laughs> which I should hate. I think both of us would normally right. be, would find this stuff very abrasive, but yeah, like flash dance ish. I don't know. Are we self-aware? I think are, the movie's self-aware. I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, it's a, it's you, a childhood fantasy. This movie, you know, we weren't, you especially are not always in love with movies that are like, like sort of meta in a way though. I find, no, not always. I find, so not all. I mean, I, I like Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, I guess that's even different though. Yeah, that's very esoteric. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, sometimes I don't. Well, self awareness bothers me when a movie is like trying to make fun of the genre, but actually just contributes to that genre. Oh, I wonder what you're talking you about. Know, like, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a, a ton of examples of that. But here, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, like, it's a movie clearly told through the perspective of a 17 year old boy who is going through a very abnormal experience mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know, has romantic sex with a hooker in the first 20 minutes as the door blows open and yep. leaves start piling <laughs> into the living room. Uh, I got it. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it felt like they knew what they were doing in that <laughs> scene. Yeah. And uh, I bought in, I don't know. I was just in for the ride. I guess, yes, a, a more cynical eye would not necessarily be in for the ride, but I, I got it the whole time. It doesn't feel out of place. I mean, if, if the movie does a lot to like set those th- those elements up in a way that feels authentic, then cool, right? Cool, like like the scene where he's like grinding on her as, as she's like undressing, yeah. And the, like the wind is blowing the curtains, and it's they've they've got this like this sky beam light shining through and hitting her, and I'm just like, okay, okay, movie, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, this is juicy as hell. Give <laughs> give me more. Yeah, I mean, it's '80s, but it's it's a good version of the '80s. I don't even think the movie's asking you to take it too seriously is the other thing. Right. It's not a comedy in the way that Ferris Bueller is. It just wants you to do a, a little bit more uh, legwork in order to get some of the darker, edgier things, but never like falling into it being like like something sinister I- entirely. It's graduate-esque. Yeah. Tonally. Yeah, yeah. It's not like disturbing though. Like there, there's, I do agree like some of the, the some of the ideas in this movie can get kind of disturbing, but it never fully like like jumps into that, which I don't know makes it a little more easy to digest. Yeah. So, 
I just like the hard edge. I love the dialogue. Yep, me too. Uh, the, at the very first scene of this movie, they're playing poker. Yep. And the guy like says what game of poker they're playing. I wrote it down. Five card draw with a spit. Anaconda, high, low, deuces, aces, one-eyed faces, wild. Two to the right, one to the left, cuts to open. Um, I know you know you have no idea what that means. I'm going to be trying that game uh, next poker night. But uh, what does that make perfect sense to you? No. I mean, it does, but I would never even attempt a game like this. <laughs> I mean, it's the most complicated, convoluted poker game. I know what all of the individual terms mean. Putting them together is a bit... Uh... Should I try to explain it? Okay, five card draws. When you have five cards in your hand, you can swap out cards for other ones. You can say, I want three cards from the deck, and they'll give you three cards from the deck. Anaconda is when you take the cards in your hand and you pass them to your left. Okay. So, it you know, you do musical chairs with the cards. This one, though, they want you to pass two to the right and one to the left, which is something I've never done, but I will be trying next poker game. Um, <laughs> then the deuces are wild, which means all twos can be whatever card you want, along with all of the aces and the face cards with one eye. So, like, if a jack is only has one eye showing, that's a wild card. And then it also has a high-low element, which means half the, the pot goes to one person and half the pot goes to the other person with the best hand and the worst hand. Um, what? Yeah. But it's a, <laughs> it's a fucking... Like, that was the moment I'm like, oh, this dialogue is juicy. Like, this is just not going to be another disposable no. teen movie about a, a kid struggling to grow up with rich parents. Mm. Like, this is a, this is a movie that's going to get in the weeds. I, I love and I dug it is <laughs> that didn't make any sense to me okay I mean somewhat it made sense at first and then what <laughs> uh, also the punchline of all this nasty horrible shit happened and the mom's like something happened to my egg I'm very disappointed with yeah, you it's awesome great stuff yeah 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 I mean the parents are a bit one-dimensional in the movie but like it's not about the parents yeah in the Charlie Brown sense right yeah makes sense yeah I loved it me too gonna be a contender today I think I think so too Next up, Terms of Endearment, written and directed by James L. Brooks, starring Shirley MacLaine, Deborah Winger, Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, Jeff Daniels, and John Lithgow, another just stacked fucking cast. Really good cast. Winner of Best Picture, lead actress for Shirley MacLaine, supporting actor, Jack Nicholson wins that one, director and adapted screenplay, was also nominated Deborah Winger for Best Actress Supporting actor for John Lithgow, art direction, sound editing, and original score. Cool. Cool. Um, follows hard to please Aurora, looking for love, and her daughter's family problems. That's the <laughs> plot of the movie, basically. Based on uh, the, uh, the acclaimed novel by Larry McMurtry, who you know is one of my favorites. Um, I mean, I'll just say it right now. I think this was one of the examples of the Oscars getting it right. Okay, I, I don't even disagree with that. I just think this is the best movie of the year. And um, like, it's just one of those movies where you see it and you're like, yep, checks all the boxes that the Oscars are concerned with. Yeah. And also you would have to have a heart of stone <laughs> not to love it. Very Oscar Beatty. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just totally happy with it. I, I, I adore this movie. I, I don't. Just, I, I just adore it. I don't adore it. But uh, um, it's one of those instances where it's like, you know, I see everything that the movie's doing and it's sort of just, it's so affable. Uh, mm. the, the, the movie is charming beyond belief. I think, um, this, the, the very beginning that when Shirley MacLaine goes to check on her daughter, who's crying in her crib and she's just, you know, kind of 
trying to wake her up to see if she's alive literally to see if she's alive which is yeah. hilarious she does this thing where she puts one leg up on the crib and then she's oh, gonna yeah. get it i'm just like yeah <laughs> cracking up like oh my god what and then a- she realizes i can't get in right? yeah. yeah what a great visual cue to describe this character that's all you needed to do yeah. really 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 smart yeah i like the movie a lot yeah. I, I i'm not like like in love with it necessarily i feel like it's a movie that's made for grandmothers more than anything well it's about a grandmother no but this feels like a movie that appeals to grandmothers <laughs> i just kept thinking about that okay something even even about the scandal in this movie felt like something that like my my grandmother would 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 find very entertaining okay um but like the performances are amazing like just universally amazing yeah and shirley mclean is fucking unbelievable <laughs> jeff daniels is great the, the who plays the the the, the wife uh, Deborah Winger. Deborah Winger. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Deborah Winger is like a favorite character of mine in a lot of ways. She's now. amazing in this movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Like Jack. Jack's really. Jack's I, great. I will say I was surprised we didn't get more of him. Yeah. I, I was, I was hoping for a little bit more Jack, but when he's in, he's just I mean, perfectly he's, used. He's one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 If you want to feel better, old women, just have sex with Jack Nicholson. Right. That's all you need to do. That's the perfect remedy. Just have <laughs> I guess I love you too, kid. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, really, really good script in the performance. Like I said, just consistently entertaining across the board, and uh, just kind of a, a, an interesting epic because that's sort of what it is—just uh-huh. a trajectory of someone's life. And and the, I think spans thirty years. Yeah, does this guy, this girl, rather not guy, Jesus, but um, who's like sort of like like. Like everyone, even though like she never always gets the fair end of the stick, everyone loves her and you kind of love spending time with her. Uh, At the end of the day, though, it's just like a really great like mother daughter movie. It's amazing. Like one of the best mother daughter movies. There's not many of them. Uh, Like there's just so much truth in this relationship. There's so much of it. My mother and my grandmother exactly like these two characters. Like it's it was shocking the first time I saw this just like that sort of like combative energy along with this deep intimacy and affection um, is so specific to mothers and daughters. You see it in Lady Bird too, like just the sort of overbearing mother, but they're also best friends, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like they, they criticize because they love and they, they, you know, all of their banter, although sometimes it feels like it's about across the line. It's just so honest and so true. Um, and like, yeah, you feel it. It's like, you know, the, there's that one scene towards the beginning where McLean calls Deborah Winger up and she answers the phone. And she's like, I don't want to talk to you right and now. She just knows it's her. Yeah. And then immediately they go, get into a 10 minute conversation. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the first word when she answered the phone was, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. And like all of that stuff is so juicy. And I, I'm not going to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it. But like the ending is just like such a gut punch for that reason. Yeah. Apparently, the two of them, when they were on set, hated each other and this has been a feud that has existed for the last 35 years um them taking shots at one another in the press i think sure the mclean wrote a book and sort of bashed deborah winger in the book and deborah winger did the other thing i guess winger was like on a lot of cocaine um, when she was making this movie and like farted in shirley mclean's face on set and like just messed with her psychologically and like when Shirley MacLaine won the Oscar, she got up on stage and was like, I deserve this because she beat Deborah Winger for the award. <laughs> oh my God. And it's been one of those like legendary feuds. But that combative energy really comes across in the in the final performance. I agree. You know, I think it just all works for that reason. 
I think, uh, it, like, in terms of defining that relationship through just, like, sheer aggression and love, yeah. it's never been, like, captured as, as well, honestly. This is, like, one of the better examples of that. And I'm not really surprised that they didn't get along. Like, once you say that, it's like, oh, yeah, that actually makes a, a, a ton of sense, mm. just in the way they... they they sort of like play off of each other, you know? Uh, I, I will say the, the movie's a little predictable for me, not, and whatever. I, I don't usually come down on movies for being predictable, but I knew where the movie was going as soon as, as soon as I saw the mother and the baby, I'm like, yeah, yeah okay. this is going to end, you know? Yeah. Okay. With, you know, as you know, yeah, sure. Uh, and fine, fine. Um, and covered some beats that I'm familiar with. It wasn't like the most surprising thing. It does land emotionally, though. And that's all that really matters. The only thing I'm really harsh on this movie with is the music. Okay. Yeah. And I, don't I remember the music I, that well. I, I, I never come down on a movie this hard. This is the biggest, like, like for me, objective flaw with the movies. That the music is just bad. Okay. It's like, it's like, like annoying and distracting and it's manipulative. And I'm just like, every single time I hear it, it feels, it, it, it like turns into a Hallmark movie. Right. And I'm just like, Oh God. Is it worse than the love story music? Yeah. You think so? I really do think so. Honestly, there's so that many... was my re- response to love story. No, I thought that the music in this was horrible. I thought it was like the only thing in the movie I would call bad, bad movie. Yeah. In fact, there are many scenes where I'm like, I was just imagining the scene without music and it's perfect. Right. It's like perfect. Just don't put music on the scene. And it felt so like abrupt and random to the point where I was like very confused at why they made the decision in the first place. So if I'm, yeah, like if I'm to really like, like crack down on this movie, they like whoever was the music supervisor needs to be fired. But okay. aside from that, good job movie. Good job. And great character work. <laughs> uh, yeah. Unbelievable character work. James L. Brooks, dude. What a <laughs> yeah, career yeah. this guy had. Yeah, he's a good dude. <laughs> he's a good dude. He's a good dude. <laughs> I think wrote for the Mary Tyler Moore show created taxi yeah that's right then does terms of endearment and broadcast news back to back did this came before oh yes it did broadcast news was 87 just amazing does as good as it gets a couple years later and then co-created the simpsons like this man is just I, i i think one of the great american treasures just one of the great sort of culture creators did he direct the simpsons movie he uh wrote it i don't think he directed it i think he wrote it though I like the Simpsons movie. I do too. I think it's actually better than most of the episodes that came out around that time. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. uh, Bro, his direction here, I think is actually a little underrated because obviously he gets, gets unbelievable performances out of these actors Mm -hmm. and he has to get some credit for that. Um, But like, there's so many little moments, like you said earlier with the, the leg over the, the carriage, the, the, uh, the, 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 the sort of guard on the crib. Even like just little inserts of characters looking at one another. Like there's just so much texture to this movie that in a lesser film, like in a Hallmark movie about sort of similar subject matter, you don't see any of it. Like it's not like flashy direction by any means. There's not like a lot of stuff going on behind the camera. But just knowing when to show a character's face looking at another character with a knowing glance. There's so many shots of just like Shirley MacLaine looking at Jack Nicholson and Deborah Winger looking at her kids. Yep. And it's, it, you know, in the moment, it's sort of easy to overlook. But when you look at it in its totality, everything here, there's so much detail. There's so much nuance to these relationships. And it's a movie that is built around the performances and around the characters. Yep. And I love an actor's director. I love a director that gets character. And, you know, James L. Brooks is never going to be known as one of our great American auteurs. But 
it just gets that i think better than anybody did certainly in this era i mean auteurs man when you I'm talking it, it is kind of a shame all like the really great directors are usually visionaries sure which is fine like obviously like visionaries are usually my favorite kind of filmmakers uh but when i see something like this or i see something like broadcast news you're like yeah man, there is like a real uh, so there's just something special about the guys who have the muscle for just like like working with actors and getting the most out of them in a theatrical, like literally like theater sort of way. Sure. In a way that the actors must love. Can you imagine how much these actors love working on this film aside from Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger? <laughs> like I, yeah, of course. I, I, I am Jack at, worked with them several times afterwards. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, I love as, as good as it gets. Yeah. So good. Um, yeah, man. Uh, I, I, I also have to... In, in, commenting on the direction is just like like i mean this is kind of a visual idea it's like like for what like a moment that sticks out to me and just in terms of like like cueing an actor's performance but throwing in one little detail to sell the 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 scene to make it even a little more both funny and disturbing is when um uh uh, Deborah Winger finds Jeff Daniels talking to the woman mm. and they're just having a conversation and his arm is against the tree as, right. as she's beneath him and when uh, she calls him out and runs away. Jeff Daniels turns around and he has the baby. The baby, right? And I'm like, that was really clever. Yeah, oh, well, what it's a like, smart idea movie. But it's like sitcommy stuff. Yes, that's like sitcom brain that leads you to that idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he's able to translate that to the big screen better than a lot of like television writers well, at the time. Well, it lands in in a way that maybe a scene on, on television, maybe at that time, might not have totally. It, it would have landed just in a different way. Right. I, I imagine that one is like again equally as like. Like it just sort of throws you for a loop. Like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Right. You know, and, and at first it's, 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 it's. I, I don't know. I like a movie that kind of blends like, like feeling in, in, in an interesting way, where it's like I'm, I am just as upset by the fact that he's doing this, but the premise is so funny to me. Right. But, the, but then I'm kind of constantly juggling, juggling back and forth, like, oh my god, like this is really heartbreaking. Yes. And when he finally goes up to her, and everyone in the school is watching him, and she's breaking down, and you still got the fucking baby right there, right, right. trying to say, can we just talk about this another time? Yeah. yeah. It's just like. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's very real to me. It's it's entirely real. Yeah. Um also like so this Deborah Winger performance, it's it's great, but this character I'm hard-pressed to think of a male screenwriter in 1983 that was this good at writing female characters. I agree with that, yeah. I mean he is unbelievable. I mean Broadcast News again has a woman in its lead and that Holly Hunter performance is one of my favorites in the history of movies. Like it, that could be the best single female character I've ever seen in a movie before. Um, and and same thing here. Like just how she sort of reacts to like the 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 the, uh, the sort of day to day mundanities of life. Yeah, you know when Shirley MacLaine gives her the hug at the beginning and like holds on just a half second longer than she does and Shirley McLean gets all excited she's like oh you're holding on longer than I am that's the first time that's ever happened before <laughs> like just sort of her joy for life is it, it, it's truly unlike anything I've seen before in a movie or certainly unlike anything from 1983 <laughs> or before yeah I mean there's so much depth to that character uh and Shirley McLean obviously is the, the superstar and kind of this is her story ultimately yeah um, but I, I mean, it, it, it should not go without saying that in 1983, there just were not movies written about women this way and uh, his ability to get in that headspace, I just think is incredible. Yeah. I'd happen to agree. Very, some similarities between her and the Holly Hunter character. Yeah. Not, 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 a, not everything, but sort of like the, 
the jovial nature to both of them, aside from when Holly Hunter needs to cry in a, in a back room sure. and then go back to work. Yeah. Love that. Character. Yeah. Deborah Winger doesn't cry all that much. No. Which is what's awesome about it. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a perfect movie. That's really good. Dear, but... And finally, Scarface. Mm. Directed by Brian De Palma. Written by Oliver Stone. Starring Al Pacino, Stephen Bauer, Michelle Pfeiffer. And Robert Loggia. Oh, yeah. In 1980, Miami, a determined, a determined Cuban immigrant takes over a drug cartel and succumbs to greed, <laughs> as you want to do. Yes. And falls, of course. Of course. He rises and he falls. And he falls. <laughs> Into a pool. <sighs> What's your history with this? This town one? is like a great pussy just waiting to get fucked at him. You know? <laughs> There's the... <laughs> <laughs> what's my history what's your history with this movie yeah i mean i saw it when i was a kid and i just didn't get it okay i just didn't get it uh that's weird because most people who do see it as a kid really do get it right and i guess that's why kids love grand theft auto right yeah i guess that's the whole thing it's not why i love grand theft auto but it's amazing to <laughs> to see this movie's influence on stuff like that sure uh yeah rap music too oh god yeah Nas and Tupac and like, you know, the the sort of gangster rap of the 90s, which is all influenced by this. And there's so many references to Scarface. Yeah, I know. Um, it's nonstop, really. I, I'll, I'll never forgive this movie for what it did to Al Pacino. I is guess. that what it comes down to? I guess that's all it comes down to. Yeah. Because I don't I think it's actually a really good movie. OK. I don't think it's the best movie on this list. OK. Uh, and some people like really think it's perfect. I, I mean... I'll, I'll go as far to say it's a really good movie. And in terms of legacy and impact, there is a kind of a greatness to this movie. I, I to this day, oh, I, it's larger than life. Yeah, certainly. exactly. Yeah. Like the movie is is greater than the sum of its parts. I suppose at least now it is. That's true. Uh, Would you call it a cult movie? No. Okay. No, I, I wouldn't. I mean, everybody knows what this is. Everybody knows what this is. Yeah. You know, and it kind of speaks to like the, the disconnect between quality and popularity. Yeah. It's funny. Al Pacino a couple years ago said that this was his most iconic role. This it, is the role that people know him by the most. I, Nico. And he's right. And he's right. Right. You think about it and it's like, God, Serpico and yeah. Michael and, and uh, dog day afternoon. Like really? Yes. This is his most iconic. But then, yeah, you think about it. You're like, yeah, it is. It absolutely right. Yeah. That, again, like you feel weird saying that cause you want the, the best performance to also be the most iconic performance. And obviously this is not his best, mm-hmm. but I mean, yeah, undeniably like, like I don't know a single person who can't like look at the poster of this movie or even like shots from this movie and just be like, yeah, I know what that is. Sure. There's just something too flashy about it and too expressive. It's like it is in your face and it doesn't stop. This movie has not left everyone's <laughs> uh, neighborhood since it came around. Sure. And it's very 80s in that way. Oh, too. yeah. <laughs> it's very excessive. There's a lot of synth in the soundtrack. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, De Palma in many ways is sort of a relic of that era. De Palma's an interesting guy, you know, like uh, we've talked about him a, a bit on this show. Uh, you know, it's sort of like the, the black sheep of the film Bratz yep. and has never sort of gotten the respect that his peers did. Uh, but also like sort of disinterested with the respect of his peers and also the respect of Hollywood and uh, is really not trying to make movies for them. No, you know, but the funny thing is, as a result, has had a tremendous amount of influence, much like his peers. Honestly. Sure. Sure. You know, 
Yeah, but in sort of like a trashy way. And I, and I don't mean that I, disparaging. No, I, I don't even disagree with that. But like, like you, you do owe a lot of like who Tarantino is to De Palma. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's just, it's just kind of how it is. You yeah. know, I, I don't know. He's got that populist streak to him and he understands like what audiences want. And that's an instinct that, you know, although is not often given its due is rare yep. among filmmakers of that caliber. I agree. You know? Also, just a good like he, like we we criticize him. He's maybe not the best storyteller around, but he's he is a good filmmaker. He understands the craft. He's a good formalist. Yes, which is why he pulls so much from uh, Hitchcock. Yes, to a fault. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. He he knows what he's doing. He's just got strange choices, I suppose. Like when you look at this guy's filmography and you track every movie he's done, it's like whoa, you've done a lot of weird movies. Sure, you know, both, in a lot of different directions. Yeah, there is not really a through line with with his filmography, right? I think Hitchcock is the only through line. Sure. He is like like straight up ripping off Hitchcock a lot of the time. Yes. I could describe, though, a Hitchcock premise to you. Yes. It's like, you know, guy investigating crime with a femme fatale who may be involved and uh, like a fat guy is going to show up but and he's probably of, responsible. But I mean, that's that's like like, you know, you think of something like like body double or you think of uh, e- even honestly, like if Hitchcock made an action movie, it would look a lot like Mission Impossible. Yeah, and that's then, true. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think of something like um, um, what was I going to say? Uh, God, I, lo- I like this movie. Dress to Kill. Sure. It's just a Hitchcock film, film right. like like beat for beat. Yeah. A good one. Blowout. Yeah. Yeah. Blowout. Same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree with it. Um, I don't think this is one of his best movies. I decided to watch about an hour of it okay. last night just to just to see where I where I'm with it, where I where I'm at with it in, right. in 2021. Um, and like, yeah, I I found it very entertaining. <laughs> I thought the hour was incredibly entertaining. This is the thing. Uh, but I'm not sure it goes any further than that. And I actually think the Pacino performance is quite bad. I just don't think it's a good performance and I understand it's an iconic one and say hello to my little friend is funny. It's hard to talk with you about this one because I know you're you have you do. It's a bad performance. I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever be convinced otherwise. Like the voice work is really weird and there's not like a ton of nuance to this character. At no point do you see any humanity in this guy. No. And I guess, yeah, it's entertaining in a very ironic sense. But that's it. I'm not even sure if it's in an ironic sense. I think the movie's like a shit ton of fun is the thing. Yeah. I mean, it's an Oliver Stone script. So, right. And the guy understands much like Brian De Palma understands that sort of like Grimey's 80s men doing coke genre. Yeah. And I don't I think there are some questionable lines of dialogue like that pussy line. Yeah. But most of the time I'm 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 having a lot of fun with the script. All I got in my life is my balls and my word and I don't break them for no one. Cool. <laughs> Silly, but good. Yeah. Sure. So 80s. And I mean, maybe that's the thing, too. Like, like this movie, it like should be the most dated fucking thing ever. But something about the vibe and the atmosphere just just really resonates with people even to this day. I don't know what that is. Mm. I don't because I honestly do think this movie should be more dated than it is. But it's still like people. It still has a pretty significant audience because it's cool. It is a cool movie. Yeah, it's cool. I agree. You yeah. know, and I, I although maybe not, you know. And they are crime in- is cool. I I do think there is a cool streak to this character in this in this movie. Yeah, no, this is the thing, dude. They they do like the character, and the movie does a, is doing a lot with this character's story. I mean, they're certainly throw, throwing him through a lot. There are empty attempts at it. though. I agree. Yeah, like they- when he goes back to see his mom, and she's like, "Get out! Yeah, who'd you kill for this money?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Don't touch my fucking sister." And where that ultimately goes, like. <sighs> 
you could not interrogate a character's no. backstory less than that scene. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's just sort of what bothers me because it has that veneer of like prestige character study. <laughs> and under the surface, I just think it's kind of empty. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a couple of years. I wonder what I would think of it now. Yeah. I lot, also, I, okay, sorry. Well, I think a lot of it like does build to ultimately his him killing of Stephen Bauer's character. Yes. And that always said a lot to me about the character and sort of like where he was going. And it felt like sort of a logical extension, you know? Yeah. He's just it, gone nuts. He's it, just doing a lot of coke. Yeah, I, I, I guess <laughs> it's, it's an attempt at like, like the, the fall of a, of, of a person's humanity that did feel kind of refreshing to me in a lot of ways. Okay. So it, it in, in a way, like, yeah, it's just so extreme. It's, it's so, so excessive. It's so co-confused. Like there's just no other way to describe it. I mean, yeah, like, okay, movie, be, be a little like squishy and, and fun and, and, and poppy in the way that you are. You know I mean, it's, you're <laughs> so much of this movie is just Coke. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's okay for the movie to be as outrageous as it is. I, I, I do understand though, if you're like watching this movie and even like longing for something like Donnie Brasco, just right. for something like a little more pulled back. God, even Carlito's way I think yeah. is better than this movie. Oh, I would agree. Yeah. I like, I know you don't care for Carlito's. Yeah. Way. I don't love it, but yeah, I, think, I like Carlito's. Yeah. Way. yeah. That's a better performance. Here's the thing. A lot of people are like, when you watch this movie, you are watching Pacino sort of become the caricature come out of the cocoon like he he goes in the caterpillar and out the the very tacky butterfly and like you can almost see that moment in the movie where like that switch goes on and it, he's never able to unswitch it but i don't know his performance in heat is better than this you know what i mean like his performance in the insider is better than this yes oh yeah you know it, i'm not sure it's a bad performance i mean he has a lot of what we now understand as sort of pacino karaoke performances in the next 20 to yep. 30 years but none of them are as over the top as scarface <laughs> maybe devil's advocate is his most over the top since then but like you know this still might be his most ridiculous pacino performance it could be yeah you know i still think he has that gear i just think like this movie pushes him to the extreme it has to though doesn't it i don't know the voice is weird man it's, it's all I, I mean the whole movie is about excess yes <laughs> don't get is. high on your own supply so you know it's it, yes. it, it de palma it, does get high on his own supply i guess in this it, movie i keep coming back to this it would bother me if it felt inappropriate but it just doesn't man okay. it doesn't feel inappropriate at all i don't think it's a bad performance at all but um uh i i, I just i just think it it it's the movie that made pacino maybe a little too comfortable with himself at the end of the day yeah i mean he just understood the motions that you have to go through in order to get a claim and that's how he got an oscar for yeah. scent of a woman right well which is a better performance this or scent of a woman I would put Scent of a Woman a bit higher, but I, I have similar complaints with both. Yeah. I mean, Scent of a Woman was certainly safer, put it that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I guess I'm... I am, this is the more fun performance, though. Absolutely. I, I respect what he's doing in this one more, I guess. Whereas Scent of a Woman's just like, all right, how do I get my Oscar? Just tell me. And mm -hmm. I guess the answer is do a movie with a kid where you're blind. Yes. And never, ever move your eyes. And I never focused on one thing. It was all about uh, milky imagery. Hoorah. Hoorah. <laughs> and here's an oscar and so it's oh i can just do this 20 times and get more of these mm -hmm. i don't know <laughs> you're just i think i think you're very hung up on uh just pacino more than anything in this movie what if it was anybody else that's a good question like you I, I don't know what the performance would look like with anyone i, else. I, I know i get that but like, i mean if, if de niro's in the movie yeah I don't think De Niro goes there in the way that that Pacino goes there. And I think he somehow finds a way sure. to unlock that humanity in it. Who does go for this? 
oh, I think if Jack is in this, it's a disaster. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Maybe. I think if Travolta's in it, it's a disaster. Oh, does it, now that I certainly agree with, yes. You know? You know. What about William Hurt? <laughs> Would it be amazing? <laughs> Might be amazing. <laughs> Sign me up for that movie. Yeah, because I don't think it's a bad... Like, I think the movie on the whole is like... It's a well-made film. Like, it, and again, like, by the time you get to the end, it is very satisfying and and just ex- in 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 how excessive it is like it, it, by the end of the movie i've sunk into just how crazy this movie is yes so it's not like i'm bothered by it at that point so, yeah i know I, also i'll tell you what I, I don't normally get sensitive about this sort of stuff but like the cubanness of it all just like all the political stuff that oliver stone was spewing there oliver stone was on a lot of coke when he wrote this movie that's important to note and oliver stone has very specific opinions about the world and about geopolitical relations and uncompromising. <laughs> I think uncompromising would be the right word. Yes. <laughs> and sometimes you vibe with it. Sometimes you don't. Yep. And uh, look, I get it's a movie about a Cuban gangster and you can't pull punches just because he's Cuban. But a lot of this sort of felt like stereotypy to me. I don't know. Like I, not necessarily offensive just because I, I know what I'm getting. It's obviously Scarface and it's De Palma and it's Oliver Stone. And those two men do not usually, uh, uh, you know, they, they don't usually use subtlety in, in, no. their, in their scripts or no. in their, in their movies. Uh, I don't know. I, the whole thing just felt a little icky to me. It is a little icky, but it's yeah. an icky world. Yes. Uh, I, has this movie ever gotten in trouble for stuff like that though? I don't think it has. Well, I, I I mean, there have been complaints levied at it over the years. I don't think it's a racist movie. I don't no, think it's racist, and I don't think you can tell this movie without going the places where it went. But I don't know. Maybe it's partly that Pacino performance. It felt a little dismissive to me. It just felt like here's Pacino doing a pretty bad Cuban accent, <laughs> yeah. and it's heavy and it's thick. And it's like, you know, maybe cast a Cuban actor. Like, I, I don't know. Like, maybe. A little more authenticity would have went a long way here. I suppose. But again, it's just so, like, I don't know. It, it's it's a popcorn movie. It is a popcorn movie. It's it's also just, like, disconnected from reality enough for me. Right. Just, in, again, just how, like, like I don't know, how colorful this movie is, for better and worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like, even the accent, people love that accent, dude. Yeah, they, they do. They, they do. They do. I don't even hate it. I don't think it's necessarily the correct choice. <laughs> but like, I don't know. When I when I watch this movie, like, it, I just I, I find myself like finding its rhythm pretty quickly. Right. And I mean, I think that does speak to like the overall quality of the movie, even though it has a tremendous amount of shortcomings. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. We'll see what the remake looks like. I guess the Coen brothers they're they're they wrote the script for this, right? They're doing an actual remake. Yeah, I, they're not directing it, but they, I think the Coens have a script. Well, Joel is coming out with a movie that only he directed, right? Which I think is so interesting—the the, uh, tragedy of Macbeth, right? And it's that's got Denzel and Francis in it, right? Yeah, which actually will probably be pretty cool. Yeah, we'll we'll see what that looks like. Yeah, yeah but they, they, I think uh, Anton Fuqua was going to direct it for a while, and I think now they've Luca Guadagnino is going to is going to do this one. And I'm not sure if they're going with the Cohen script. Luca Guadagnino is going to do a Scarface remake with a Cohen Brothers script. Yeah. Wow. That's going to be an incredible movie. Yeah. We'll we'll see if it ever gets made. They've been talking about this for like 10 years though. So I don't know if it's going to be set in the Cuban world. I don't know if it's a Tony Montana story. The original is about Al Capone. Yeah. That's the thirties version. Um, It's hard to do it now without, you know, 
referencing this movie. Right. This is the issue, like when because there are many stories that you know are based on works that people like that that have a distinct fan group, and you need to uh, appeal to that fan group and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's it's hard to do anything else <laughs> after that point. You know, I, I I mean, if you make it about anything besides Tony Montana, it, not as many people are going to see the movie. So definitely, that's the issue. Yeah, I think you're right. Luca Guadagnino doing a Coen Brothers script remake of Scarface dude, sounds pretty dope. <laughs> well, if he does what he was doing in Suspiria, it could be really interesting. That sounds pretty fucking great. Dude, I don't care what any detractor says. Suspiria's a fucking masterpiece. Okay. Movie's unbelievable. I gotta get around to that thing. Holy shit, that's a movie. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what that looks like. Yeah. Um, but there you go. Yeah. I, I, I like the movie a lot. I don't like. I, said, I don't think it's as great as people like to claim it is. And uh, I think I think the the music scene really like like skyrocketed this movie into something something else. Mm. But yeah, <laughs> it's a man. How do we how do we break these movies down? Because I think if we're we haven't it's funny we haven't talked about our category in a long time. It feels like we've sort of abandoned it. Yeah, uh, because it's hard. It wasn't really working for us. No, it did. And, and I think as the show has evolved, we've sort of uh, we've sort of uh, chosen with our hearts and not with our minds. Would you say that's fair? Well, I mean, uh, Godfather Three is in the Movie Hall of Fame. Let's not forget that. So that is true. Well, let's talk about our criteria then: quality, legacy, impact are the three. Quality, of course, what's the best movie? What's the most well made? Legacy is what is the most iconic, what has the most quotable lines, the most uh, recognizable imagery, has the most sort of cultural impact. And Impact talks about how did it influence movies after it was made. Yeah. The one I care about the least is Legacy. So uh, where would you put... Uh, I think, here's the problem. What would you do here? Here's the problem. Scarface has two of those categories, as far as I'm concerned. Which ones? Impact and Legacy. That's true, but it's not the best movie. No, and this is what I'm talking about. This is why like the category is somewhat troubling for me because you're sort of forced to vote with your heart when something like this comes along, and sure. this happens every once in a while. It's like, guys, come on! Like, like give, the, my my point is, give film more credit than that. Well, here here would be so, my thing. Yeah, um, it's 1983. You know, the, the tie break we often use is what is the most indicative of this era. You know, and, I, I guess and. Scarface definitely is. I think Terms of Endearment could have come out 10 years ago or 70 years ago. Dude, it could have come out yesterday. Right. And it, it, yes, 100%. And it's the same movie and people love it. Uh, Big Chill is kind of of its era. Risky Business, though, is is stuck in 1983 in a good way. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little more critical of that, though. I mean, I like movies that are, you know, they, they have legs and they're a little more in, in, endearing past that point. Mm -hmm. You know, I I like a movie like like to me like when a movie that came out in that era is really special is when it covers ideas that are a little more universal that can carry over into now. Right. You know, like I said before, I don't like movies that dig themselves into a year too much. Yeah. I mean, I like them from a distance, but I always have you know just general issues with them, mm -hmm. and it's part of the reason why I'm never like thoroughly in love with movies. Like I guess the only like example of that is like maybe True Stories. Sure. But that's interesting. Uh, well, okay. If you're voting with your heart, how would you vote here? I, man, I don't know. Eh, I don't know. Meaning of life. <laughs> it's for me. It's I. I think it's meaning of life or big chill. Really? Yeah. Those would be your top two. Yeah. 
I don't, I don't know about meaning of life. I mean, it, it would be weird putting that one in and Holy Grail is not in. Yeah, that's true. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Big Chill, I love. I mean, that would be cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Risky Business is definitely iconic. It's, if not the most iconic, the second most iconic on the list. And, like, also, it's just really well made. Yeah. But not in a, again, like an auteur way, just in, like, a quality 80s crime movie way. And I think Terms of Endearment is perfect. And yeah, I, I mean, I would be good with a lot of things. I would not be good with Scarface and I would not be good with War Games. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my vote, I think, would be Terms of Endearment just because I think it's the best movie of that year. But if you're not OK with that, then we can cross it. off. I'm not like offended by the idea. Like, I like the movie a lot. So it's it's I'm not like I said, I'm not as passionate about it as you are. But um, it's it's not a bad choice, I okay. guess. You know, if you'd like to induct that, that that's that movie t- to my point sort of represents like the types of films like I'm happier seeing in the movie Hall of Fame. Terms of endearment. Yeah. Okay. Again. Yeah. It's 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 just it's just about like excellence in film. That's all I really care about at the end because those are the movies that to me like live forever. Okay. What would your vote be? I I, I love the Big Chill Man. I really love the Big wow. Chill. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 Do you want to cross off risky business? Risky business is really good. <laughs> no, my three honestly are I I guess, you know, for you know, for for principle's sake, terms of endearment and then risky business and then the big chill. It's actually kind of a tough decision. Yeah, I think so too. I actually don't know what to do here. Mm, I don't know. We're down to big chill, risky business, terms of endearment. Yeah. Yeah. My vote's terms of endearment. I've been getting a lot. Do you want <laughs> terms of endearment? Yeah, I'll take it. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. That's okay. All right. We agree with the Oscars. Yeah, that has never happened. <laughs> look at that. Never happened. Congratulations. Terms of endearment. Yeah, really, really solid movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go, Academy. Yeah. All right. Never talk about this again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. You know what? Not as bad a year, I guess, in hindsight. Uh, yeah, no, it's, pre- it's still pretty bad. <laughs> okay. We're not over the moon for, for this choice or anything like that. Yeah. Like, this is the thing. Like, like are you, are you like, like, like deeply passionate about even, even terms of endearment? I'm no. Sure, I'm sure I, you love it, but. I do, but like, if it's this in broadcast news, yeah, one exactly. has to die. I'm not even thinking twice. Yeah, and I actually. I'm pushing this one off the cliff yeah. all day, every day. <laughs> and you, you know how annoying I was with broadcast news, but I love that movie so much more. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, that to me is his masterpiece, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's all good. Okay, uh, that's it. That's the podcast. Yeah, it is. Okay, so next week you're going to go hang out with your rich friends. That's right. At Newport. That's right. And uh, so we're going to take next week off. And then the following week, uh, you have an assignment for me. Yeah, I do. What's that assignment? Friday the 13th, bod, baby. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) We're going to do this. You're going to be okay. For no reason other than Adam's been wanting to do this for a while. Yeah, if you you need to call me for support. You can do that. It's okay. I will not be calling you. Okay. <laughs> so what? which ones am I watching here? I told you I wanted to do one through four and then six and seven. Right. But that doesn't sit well with you. No. Then okay. I'm not going to skip five and then watch six and seven. Well, what do you want? I'm, I'm I'm, I have OCD, man. I can't. Okay. I, I'm a, too much of a completionist for that. <laughs> it's going to drive you nuts, man. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. Why can't we do five? You'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) What's so good about seven? 
Uh, seven is like one of the later entries. Like, like it's right before for me anyway, that the series gets really bad, okay. like almost unbearably bad. Mm. So, uh, well, that's it, reassuring. Yeah, I know. Um, and it's, you know, it's Carrie versus Jason. So I'm happy with that. Carrie versus Jason. Yes. The character of Carrie is in the film. Basically. Basically or is actually, it's a different name, but it's Carrie. Got it. Yeah. That's the idea. Okay. And I was like, you know, like it's, it's, it's not my favorite and it's not a great film of, at all, but, um, it's, it's still one of the entries that I have a tremendous amount of fun with. It's basically the point where I stop or I take a break in my, my marathon. I, I usually skip eight, nine and 10. And then I watch Freddy versus Jason in the remake. So, all right. I mean, okay, here's, we don't have to talk about five if you don't want to. I said this too. Like we can, if you want, do you, here's my question. Do you want to do six or seven films? It's as simple as that. Let me watch them all and then we'll, uh, yeah, then we'll decide which ones to do. Nico, you might hate every single one of them. Sounds like I will. You might, you know. Sounds like I will. Okay. I I have two weeks. (laughs) I have two weeks. I, I have a lot of interesting feelings on the, the series as a whole, but like, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> it's just going to be fun for me because this is a series that I grew up with, which you absolutely did not. Mm. But, you know, I, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. All right. Coming next week. All right. <laughs> yeah. You only, only need to watch, um, um, one through one through seven then. Okay. Goodness. All right. Friday the 13th podcast coming next week for no good rhyme or reason. Two weeks from now. You want to know why we're doing it? Because we have no more years, dude. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> Basically. We need ideas. Yes. Is really what we're saying. Exactly. And, and I have some, but... It's going to get scrappy is what I'm saying. Yes. Franchises that you'd like us to cover, directors, filmographies you'd like us to cover, genres, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Let us know. We're, uh, go on the Discord. You can join the Discord in the description for this show. Um, and then you can hit the Movie Hall of Fame channel on discord give us some recommendations um and we'll see i we have a couple ideas we should actually really make a, a master list we should and uh and get all these ideas on paper we got to get creative for some of them too though because if you boil it down to just genre it's it makes it harder because that that'll go by the wayside pretty quickly too yes yeah definitely i i think the 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 move is to look at some directors that we perhaps shortchanged when we did all of the movie years. Yeah, I agree. And then maybe revisit some of them. Neil Blomkamp. Yeah, definitely. Obviously. We're going to do a Neil Blomkamp pod. Got to give... When's that guy going to get the respect he deserves? Okay. When, he start make, make, when he starts making good movies. How dare you? <laughs> All right, that's it. Uh, have fun in Newport. And, um, oh, thank you. Until next time. A fish, a fish, a fishy. Oh.